0: Aquarian Company. I'm going to be keeping you company for the next few hours. You are not going to believe the company. This company. You're going to bankrupt your mama's company. At least I have the radio to keep me company. On 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Jimmy Cook,
1: question for you to start this Tuesday. You ready? Answer for you to start this Tuesday. Have you seen the movie Blow with Johnny Depp? No. The movie Blow, Carl, you seen Blow?
2: I have seen it, but I've
0: forgotten most of it.
1: There's a scene in the movie where Johnny Depp and his business partner, Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman, are, let's just say, the product that they are shopping around. They're trying to show the authenticity of it, and they have a gentleman who's an expert try a little of it, and he says, and I quote, I can't feel my face. Like, I know it's there, but I can't actually feel my face. That today, Jimmy, is not due to that exact same scenario. But that's how I feel due to nasal congestion. So, you are, do you ever, are you a weightlifter? No. Do you do pull-ups? I
3: have before. Do you have a strong back? Let's also say no. I'm batting 1,000 today out of the
1: game. Because you're going to carry me for a little bit for the next three hours. Oh, no, it's the shoulders. Because I can't feel my face. Yep, I got you. Absolutely. Right? But here's the thing. Uh, Starting out on this, and good afternoon to you on a Tuesday, starting out on this Tuesday, we begin today with, would we classify it necessarily as breaking news? What the hell? Carl, do you have the sounder? Let's go ahead and get right to it here in the noon hour. Hit me with it, Jimmy Cook.
3: Ian Rapoport about 28 minutes ago reports that Colts running back Jonathan Taylor, fresh off a 91-yard, two-touchdown performance in that win over the Bucks, suffered an injured thumb that is requiring further evaluation and puts his status in doubt going forward. More info to come with all options considered. One to watch that from at Sheet on Twitter. So that means that likely opens the door, as he said in another tweet. Zach Moss, who, as we've highlighted, still top five, top eight in rushing 200-yard games to his name this season, but that would definitely be a tough loss for the Colts if it does force him to miss time.
1: Zach Moss, it's interesting. Uh, Steven Holder, who's going to join us at 2 o'clock today, he and I were at the Pacer game last night. And I asked Stephen Holder, I go, you think the Colts re-signed Zach Moss? And he's like, you know what, that's a really good question because, you know, I don't know what it is. It's not like somebody else is going to come and break the bank with him. But you would think that there's some team out there that's going to look at him and his production this year and say, we'll make him our feature back. He's capable of being a feature back. So does he want to go somewhere and be the guy that gets the majority of carries or does he want to stay in Indy and be thunder to lightning? You know what I mean? But he may be the feature back here for a while yet again. But the one thing, Jimmy, that you have to feel good about is the fact that he has shown he can do exactly that, right?
3: Yeah, he's proven it multiple times throughout the course of this year. Going into the Jonathan Taylor holdout, the thought was the running game was just going to totally be an anchor for this team and that maybe they would not be able to recapture even close to the type of running game they had with Jonathan Taylor. We've stressed this a number of times on this show, as well as many of our other hosts have on these airwaves. He's not JT. He does not break games open the same way Jonathan Taylor does, but he has a certain style of play as a tailback. That is efficient. That's right around five yards per carry through 10 games this season. Five touchdowns already on the ground. And in terms of the way they were using him, you know he can handle a workload. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that the Colts offense, which still has question marks, even though maybe they found something finally in their passing game. Roughly 12 targets apiece for Josh Downs and Michael Pittman Jr., Mike Whitman Jr. has, what, 10 catches for north of 100 yards last game. It feels like they're finally starting to find something in the passing game, but they're also having balance within that running game, and that was in part due to Jonathan Taylor finally hitting his stride and Zach Moss saddling into his role of change of pace slash secondary back for this team. If you re-up him, I think it gives him another opportunity to put himself on display, but Jake, if he takes off the same way that he did in the first couple weeks of the season, if we're playing out what happens next offseason with him, this is another strong audition for him to
1: right. the entire free agent market. Right. But by the way, did we just skip over? And I know that this is like a, a cheap and easy narrative every year when people are like, we have no autumn. But like, was it? weren't there like beautiful leaves on the trees like a week ago? Yeah. And I went out today and, and literally, I, I, I walked out. I, I was up very early this morning, but I went outside and like I was in the middle of Rocky 4. You know what I mean? Like, it was cold and depressing, and there were Russian guys following me around in a Mercedes, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? No leaves anywhere to be found, flurries flying around, I can't breathe. Like, what are we doing here? Can <laughs> Dude, we just snap our fingers and get to March Madness, please? Yeah, I'm right there with you. We And we're just at the onset of it. I, mean, I the love part. the holidays. I love sure. I love this month because I'm weird, and I, listen, I'm nostalgic. I'm weird. I'm old school. I still go, and when I say this, I know I can feel it now, people are going to send me tweets or posts or whatever we're calling it now, or they're going to text me, and they're going to be like, dude, what are you like, putting your your life in your own hands? I, I still go this time of year at least four times between now and Christmas. I will go at nighttime, and I mean, I will buy a few things, but I will walk around the mall just to hear like the faint bell in the distance of the Salvation Army kettle and Christmas carol overhead because it reminds me of when I was a kid, Christmas shopping. I love it. Love it. Is it the same? No, of course not. It's not. But it still feels the same, and it still sounds the same. Love it. So I love this time of year. But I also know – that and this year again, we get completely jobbed on Christmas because it's on what day of the week is it on this year? Monday. Yes. So we get a day off. I'm not saying this company. I'm saying in general, we we being people in general. Yep. Christmas. What's the best day of the week for Christmas to fall? A
3: Friday or Thursday.
1: I think it's got to be Thursday, right? Because if it's Thursday, everybody punts Wednesday. You get Thursday off because it's Christmas. Most people then just punt Friday. Sure. So it's a th- It's a five-day weekend if it's on Thursday.
3: Friday is the safest in terms of where corporate structure might be because you're going to get Christmas Eve off. So you're guaranteed to have the-
1: Four-day, right? Correct.
3: And I, I agree with you. Most companies, I would think, would punt on Friday if Christmas right. is on a Thursday.
1: Well, I mean, even if even if the office is open places, people are just- It's like when you were a senior in high school during finals, right? You're just kind of walking through. You're like, yeah, I gotta be here for a couple hours. I gotta, I gotta make an appearance. But then you get
3: January. Yep. Everybody loves the holiday time. Everybody loves a snow splashed, if you can call it that, Christmas. But once you get to the second or third snowfall of January, oh. I'm done with it. I'm over. Not Let's to go. mention
1: January. Just everything about January. What, what's the worst month of the year? It's got to be January. I would say February, but February because does anybody really like Valentine's Day? I mean, what are we doing, right? But it's only, but but Valentine, you know, February is only 28 days. January, I mean, come on, you gotta get through the full 31
3: versus the 28 days in February. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, January at least you get like the NFL playoffs eventually.
3: It's my birthday month. But for the what what day is your birthday? January first.
1: I think I knew that actually. That is, that's got to be the worst thing ever.
3: See, you asked me that, and you didn't know this because you asked it in September when we first started the show together.
1: It, it's a blessing
3: and a curse, right? On the one hand, you're getting everything, all the celebrations done in one swing, so you don't have anything to look forward to the rest of the year. But on the other hand, if I could pick a day within that stretch, I enjoy the countdown, and then it's like, oh, it's my birthday. How about that?
1: Yeah, but but like you're, you're extinguishing everything for the year in the first 24 hours. Yeah so because it's January 1st even more proof January 2nd there is no more dep- let me tell you right now there's more no no more depressing day in life than the day when you were in high school going back to school oh, after awful. winter break it's terrible because you know you're like oh my gosh it's this long dark tunnel with no doors on it between or windows between now and spring break yeah awful just the worst right yep
3: No light at the end of the tunnel.
1: So, that's the thing about the Colts. Is there light at the end of the tunnel because of the fact that they're in the playoffs now? Or did it just get darker again with the possibility of no Jonathan Taylor? Because you kind of know if they get in the – I think realistically, most Colt fans know realistically that it's been a super fun year of exceeding expectation – a lot of it is based on schedule. I think most people know that. I mean, they, you know, they're in the playoff hunt because they won three straight. Okay, let's be real. They yeah. beat two MAC teams Correct. and one from the CYO. Yeah. Right.
3: We tried to highlight this yesterday. Like, I'm not. I'm not trying to. You play what's on your schedule. The NFL has it built this way for a reason. They want this level of quick turnaround parity in the league. But yes, you you know what this season is at some core, right? And I don't. I'm not trying to fully be a dark cloud. I've tried to avoid that the last couple of weeks because it's been fun to see them continue on this playoff push. But yes, they are headed down a likely path that leads to a two-score loss in the first round of Super Wildcard Weekend. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy it, but in terms of does the tunnel get darker? I don't know if it will against Tennessee or Cincinnati without Burrow, but. That Steelers defense is tough. Again, we don't have a designation on how long, if at all, he's going to be out. But the fact that nationally they're referencing Ian Rappel is that he's serious doubt surrounding his status, not a great sign early in terms of where we're at the final six weeks of the
1: season. The the playoffs, as we talked about yesterday, are fascinating because you've got, I mean, it, it almost feels, Jimmy. I don't want to jinx anything here. So nobody get mad at me if this thing if if the roof caves in, okay? But it almost feels like the Colts are the safest amongst those that are in the playoff hunt for the AFC. And I don't I'm talking about of wild card contenders. Safest
3: think, to get there or safest like makes you feel good
1: to get there. Okay. What I mean by that is the following, okay? I mean, obviously when you're talking about I I think we know that you know Jacksonville is is going to win the South, right? I mean, yeah, it feels pretty safe. We're
3: entering barring major collapse territory for Houston to go get them.
1: So they're 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 in there right now with Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and then you know Houston, Denver, right behind them, and Buffalo. Buffalo's schedule is is horrendous. Denver. You know, Are we sold on Denver yet? Denver's kind of in the same category as the Colts. Like, wait a minute, what happened? Okay. Houston, well, you got Houston left on the schedule, so you control your own fate there. Cleveland's got a good defense, but their quarterback's out now. There are question marks offensively. Pittsburgh, they got a quarterback with little hands. Right? Yes. They can't. Pittsburgh's got a grip on nothing because they got a guy with little mittens at they, quarterback.
3: They did look better offensively. With Matt Canada finally out of there, but yes, he's not, he's not scared of anybody.
1: You know, and then on the outside, way outside Cincinnati and they're like, Cincinnati has already changed lanes. They got their foot off the gas. They got the hazards on. They're changing lanes. And then the Raiders, I, come on. Like the, the security of it right now feels as safe with Indianapolis as anywhere. Cincinnati and beyond it's over.
3: And. In terms of that final 8, 9, 10 outside looking in, like you mentioned, Houston, Denver, and Buffalo, and Indianapolis holding that last spot. You look at the schedules the rest of the way, and yeah, it probably feels the safest with the Colts. And again, if they lose two of their final denver Denver's six, got a good
1: schedule too, though. Denver does have a good schedule but too. But they play Houston. So again, you're talking to cannibalization here, right? Correct.
3: Correct. For the Colts, you can afford to lose two and depending on who that second loss is we mapped this out yesterday still probably have a 70% chance or so as low as 54% if you go 4 and 2 the rest of the way go 5 and 1 it doesn't matter if you lose to Houston like that that's one not cannibalizing story Jake but one of well where could they trade spots if you just lose to Houston but went out the rest of the way you're likely going to get it of
1: any public measurable in the NFL combine that comes out through the draft process is there any that you would least is there any let me say let me say that, that you would be more embarrassed by than everybody knowing that you have tiny hands. Right? I feel like if
3: the only other one I could think of is if you were a lineman and I'm weight, we already asked do so I lift weights. So if publicly
1: everybody knows you have tiny hands in the last 5 years it means basically that you are either a subpar <laughs> quarterback potentially or a sociopath, right? <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that kind of how it works out yes
3: in terms of the embarrassment scale if you were a lineman and you only got like
1: two on the bench press yeah. i feel like that well kevin durant got two on the bench press and everybody's like you can't <laughs> draft him he can't bench press a <laughs> wiffle ball bat okay well he can hit from 38 feet with five people on him i'll take my chance that works Thanks. yeah by the way are you making cocktails over there what, what do we got here you are
3: the latest person to ask me this question in the two years that i've had this bottle by corksicle not a sponsor of the company yet um it is. You really want to know? It's designed like C three PO, but you're not a Star Wars guy, so that is nothing for you.
1: Is that a permanent water bottle, or is that like you buy that at a store? This particular water bottle, it is permanent. It's a refillable water. It bottle. It is
3: a refillable water bottle. I got it for. Let me see here. There you go. It's been through is, some bu- damage. I damaged all my water bottles like C three
1: PO. Other than it's gold. Correct. I know, but it was it's five got bucks. A dent at, in it. it was
3: five. I understand. I dropped it. I'm not. I'm not good with water bottles. I Drop things all
1: the time. So, what do you have? An R two D two shot glass with this? I wish. Is that how it works? I have a
3: um, what is it? A, a stormtrooper uh, little uh, twelve ounce cup. Okay. Also bought in that same set.
1: <laughs> well, all I know is it looks like you should be making drinks. Uh, Pacers last night. Portland Trailblazers. Not a good loss for Indiana. I realize they're still, you know, nine and seven. Jimmy, you got to take care of the games that you're supposed to win. And, you know, Portland's got a decent roster, better than I thought. DeAndre Ayton is there. Shaden Sharp looks like he's going to be a nice young player. Um, They've got, you know, Malcolm Brogdon hit a big shot for them down the stretch. But the Pacers just continue, even though last night they weren't giving up the 130 variety, defensively on the wing, they just continue to look like a turnstile. And they are giving up too many high-percentage shots. And then on the other side of it last night, You know, they didn't. It seemed like literally the proverbial lid on the the basket. They couldn't hit anything. They were getting good looks, but in particular, in in key moments, in particular, Ben Matherin just couldn't hit anything.
3: There's been a handful of times where their three point percentage in particular has been questionable or abysmal this year. 24% from three with the way this team plays when you're taking 33 attempts in today's NBA. It's not going to take you anywhere. 20 turnovers absolutely is not going to take you anywhere. Had you looked, though, at just Tyrese Halliburton's stat line, like, had you just shown me that today and asked, hey, what happened, I would have thought the Pacers won, probably by seven or eight points. He has 33 33 points. points.
1: nine assists, yep, a couple of boards. Three
3: of six from beyond the arc, eight of nine from the foul. I would have thought that the Pacers got something done. The other problem was, though, Jake, because I don't know if they are what they are defensively in terms of turnstiles on the wings at times or how much they can really improve that over the course of the season. We're going to have Tony Easton a little bit later, top of the hour, in fact, covers the Pacers for SI, to get his thoughts on how long before we know what this team is, only 16 games in, but if the defense is turnstile-based, your thought process is with what this Pacers team can do offensively is, all right, well, maybe we give 114, we're going to score 123. And that was one of the rare nights last night where you didn't have a true second running mate, a true Robin of a 20-point scorer behind Tyrese Halliburton. You had 11 from Miles, you had 11 from Bruce Brown, but the turnovers were killer throughout, and they just looked sloppy. And it's not to say that again, this is who they're gonna be the rest of the way, but you said it, Jake. I heard Kevin Bowen say it this morning. You had a pretty nice schedule out of the gate, including many games at home, and it'd just be six and five of your eighteen games, eleven of them have been at home, and you're six and five out of the gate. It's not a death sentence for what can happen in the spring, but man, it's making life harder on you. The only upside for them is how crowded the East is. Like that that's the only benefit of this. You're still going to have to go win more games on the road now, but 5-10, through which is 5-seed to play in, everybody's right around the same spot, and it stinks because the Pacers had opportunities to get some separation early in the season.
1: Here is a Pacer confession for you. All right. Actually, it's from me, but it's for you and all that are listening. Okay? I probably should admit this. I probably... There are a lot of people that are that that would be in this position and by this position i simply mean this chair physically speaking this position not this title this just where i physically am with this microphone right in front of them there are a lot that would lie to you and make something up that would claim to be more than what they are i if anything else jimmy if if anything else i would hope that people know that what they hear on the radio from me is 100% me. It's my voice. It's how I talk in normal life. It's how I try to conduct myself. I try to be totally transparent and not create any character or falsity about me at all, okay? And in that spirit, in that capacity, I, Jake Query of Indianapolis, Indiana, I'm ready to admit the following. You need Carl to get out a Bible? (laughs) That's right. If you were to put the good book in front of me, no matter which book you consider that to be, I'd put my hand on it. I have tried. I have been enthusiastic about. I have been excited by the way it has started. And I know that things are going well within it. And so, therefore, I'm all in. But I have no idea how the the in-season tournament works. The Pacers are four and zero, and they apparently get a home game. They do. I, I, oh, okay. Locked it up. <laughs> and that game would have been where if they hadn't locked that up. Would have been. Would they have played that game or not played that game? Well, as long as they won their group, they would have played it. It just wouldn't have been here. So they play who? And the home game that they won in the end season tournament, which all I know is the one that they've that they play on weirder floors. They're 4-0 in the in-season tournament, and then they have a home game here, and then if they win that, they go to Vegas, or they go to Vegas anyway?
3: Vegas is only for the semifinals, so they're in the quarterfinals. They're a win away from Vegas.
1: Okay, there are how many of these? They're in what group? They are in Group A, in the East, East Group A. And then there's East Group B? Yes. How do we determine what's A and what's B?
3: They drew them out of pods randomly within conferences
1: so there's a and b and then west a west b
3: there's a b and c okay and then there's a b and c in the west
1: okay so they are so by winning group a they they play the winner of who where
3: that is the part that i'm uncertain about (laughs) Do we know anybody that has any certainty about any of this? I bet Tony East is a pretty strong – all I know is, but I bet Tony East has a pretty strong knowledge on it. All I know is the Pacers finished with the best record in the Eastern Conference. Therefore, they were guaranteed to host their quarterfinal game in the tournament – in-season tournament. And then if they win that, they're into the semifinals in Las Vegas, to my understanding of it. Of the groups, you have one group winner from each group. So a group A winner, a B winner, and a C winner in both the East and the West. And then one wildcard team, which is the best record of all the groups that did not win their
1: group. So there are teams in the end-season tournament that eventually the in season tournament ends for them? Correct, but
3: they still play, like, I don't know if it's a loser's bracket or what, but they still play games to fulfill their regular D- season Detroit obligation. Does Detroit
1: just play scrimmages? Does Detroit just scrimmage themselves like four times? <laughs> They're like, congratulations, you're out of the in-season tournament. But you sucked so bad that you now have to just basically scrimmage yourself and then go 500. Better yet, they're going to have Detroit and Washington play each other That's five it. times. Washington is scrimmaging itself six times and then having a parade because they went 3-3. Three and three. Yes, exactly. They're like, hell yeah! Yep. All right, we come back. A little bit deeper dive if you're just joining us. News from the Colts earlier today. We'll get to that. We'll tell you what it means and we'll take a look forward on this Tuesday. You're listening to Quarian Company, 93.5-107.5 The Fan.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Keytruda, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta, And check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: I asked Carl Showbiz earlier, what's your favorite song from The Doors? There you go. Yeah, this one. What about Soul Kitchen.
2: You I'm like not that, that much of a Doors fan to know to name the title to the music.
1: No, wait a minute, Soul Kitchen. Yesterday you said you're like a diehard Doors fan. I didn't say I was a diehard
2: Doors fan. I said the picture that I took on the Walk of Fame. That's different.
1: Well, what, now now why would you take a picture of the Doors Walk of Fame thing if you're not a fan of the Doors?
2: <laughs> because it's well, the LA what?
3: thing to do. <laughs> Did you just pick a different one every day,
2: yeah, and then well, Thursday
1: it was that's eh, the Doors. Let's go take a picture. Uh, <laughs> Like, was that the first one you noticed? You looked down, and you're like, oh, there's the doors, and you took a picture of it?
2: Um, I I was just taking a picture be- for picture's sake. <laughs> you're putting me— no, I'm just like I'm genuinely here. curious
3: because you picked them. Like, you could have picked any so, so So
1: to rehash for those—before we get into the Colts here, for those that are unfamiliar, yesterday I had mentioned that Carl here is filling in for Eddie. Lived in You're a native of Southern California. You lived in L.A., and you said, I lived right near the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
0: And that is true.
1: And I said, well, what would you guess is the most photographed star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? And you said, well, I know for me, the one that I found was The Doors.
2: But I thought that the most photographed was Marilyn Monroe.
1: I would agree with that. But you said that for yourself, the one that you sought out was The Doors. So I just assumed, and pardon me for making a false assumption, I assumed if you sought out... The, the star on the Walk of Fame of somebody to take a foot Because there's a, a billion of them, right? It's not like it's a, a, a one little... It's not like Monument Circle. I mean, it's a long stretch where there's a ton of them. So it's needle in a haystack. So you sought out the doors just because you like the name of it or because you like, what, 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 you like architecture? Well, I was looking for the Jay Query one, but I couldn't find well, that one. Well, you're going to keep looking for a while there, right? <laughs> now, there is, I will tell you, there's a brick... There's a brick with my name on it somewhere within Indianapolis, I will tell you that. And it is not not—not that I have opposition to it. It's The obvious answer or guess would be the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It's not the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now, I do have a friend that years ago, they you you used to be able to buy your name on a brick on Monument Circle. And when I was in the eighth grade, one of my buddies, he's like, you know, my parents bought us a brick. So we, we went around looking for it, and uh, literally right as we found it, a guy walked past and goes... <laughs> And spit out a huge loogie landed right smack down in the middle of the break. We're like, oh, man, no, no photos there. Uh, so, Jimmy, let's get back to it here. The Colts, as they get set now, coming off of the bye to make kind of the final push, if you will, for the postseason to try to secure where they are, which is in the playoffs right now. Now we know that, not for certain, it doesn't mean a whole hill of beans just yet. But let's just say they are keeping an eye, again, on another injury for Jonathan Taylor. And the guy that has become, I don't know that you would say, you know, Michael Pittman had a huge game on Sunday. But how much of that is because people have to be aware of Jonathan Taylor? Probably a lot. Now, they do have, admittedly, a guy that we have seen that's in the top ten in rushing right now in the NFL. And Zach Moss, that's a really good player, that can can carry that, right? So that's the one thing that makes you feel good but it does feel with the Colts like it's always one step forward and then like a half a step back again, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, that that's always the vibe around them the last couple of seasons, and it still feels that way this year just because of all that's gone on. You feel like we have the rookie quarterback answer if you're a Colts fan, and okay, he's going to develop into something special, and maybe we're going to have the type of season that Houston's having right now, and then that gets ripped away from you. But then you're still taking advantage of opportunity and you're overcoming that. And the Jonathan Taylor holdout was one of those one step forward, two step back moments initially where he's gone. But then all of a sudden, Zach Moss is here. And you look back at some of those early games, five yards a carry, four yards a carry, four yards a carry, seven yards a carry. As his workload continued to be increased over the early portions of the regular season, he never shied away from that moment against some solid teams, Baltimore included. He has 122 yards in that overtime win against Baltimore back on September the 24th. The other upside, upside's not the right word, but reassuring aspect is the better phrase for Zach Moss having to fill in for Jonathan Taylor if JT does wind up ending, missing some time with the thumb injury. The yards per carry throughout the year for Zach Moss have been... Outstanding. I know I mentioned a couple like three-yard clunkers in there, but six yards, six yards, four yards, four. He has found ways to still play efficiently with this Colts offensive line, in part because that has been a good area for the Colts so far this year. has been their ability to create running lanes, to create opportunities. So if that is still there the rest of the way, this is a step back in the totality of the offense, but it's not a complete step back in terms of what the Colts can do in the running game. The biggest part, all miss, I know you haven't seen it as much the last couple of weeks, I enjoyed the idea of being able to utilize Jonathan Taylor more in the passing game this year. And while that can still be there with Zach Moss, he's not as explosive as JT. So inherently, there's going to be some step back in the total way this offense looks. I,
1: I, I think Moss, you're right, he's not as explosive in if once you get past the line, there's an opening lane, like being gone, right? Yeah. But he is pretty explosive in terms of getting through the line. Point of attack, absolutely, yeah. He's more of like an Ahmad Bradshaw runner. You remember Ahmad Bradshaw? Yep. Just like a straightforward, head down, like get the hell out of the way type runner. That's what I like about Zach Moss. Point being, you're probably right that Zach Moss doesn't give you the put fear in defenses to where they have to constantly be on their heels type aspect. But you got to respect – I mean, they've, they've got to know where he is, though.
3: That's all you need from him. If the respectability is there from a defense – Correct. Then that still allows you to have a balanced attack with an offense that has had ups and downs this year in the passing game, and they're coming off a nice game last week. So as long as that's still there, that fear, that worry of, hey, we can't forget about him, you're going to be okay, I think anyway. I'm not saying there's not going to be a missing of Jonathan Taylor. And again, who knows? Maybe it winds up coming out in a couple of hours. today. it's a thumb injury. He's still going to be able to play through it, or he's only going to miss a game. I don't know. Much of that is still a gray area.
1: I've got a $20 bill with your name on it, Jimmy. Ooh. That is yours, even though your name's on it. It probably already should be yours, Is right? this
3: from the Genie, or is this directly from you? No, it's directly from Okay, because I know I can count on you to pay Genie's up. futuristic. This is current, Ah, thing. okay. This is present, right. right? Okay.
1: We don't know yet whether or not my $20 bill is going to be a present for you, but it's, we're talking about the present, not the future. The latest power rankings, and I don't know why it is that in like college athletics, power rankings are everything, and in the pros, you're like, power rankings? I mean, I guess because you have divisional standings, right? But it gives you an idea of what the perception of a team is. Can you tell me right now, the team directly in front of, directly behind the Colts to the power rankings?
3: This isn't going to matter, but is this our friend Eric Holmes or is this ESPN's? This is ESPN. All right. I'm going to say... I'll look up Eric as well. I, I haven't looked at either. I just wanted to ask. Uh, <laughs> I would say the team directly behind is Denver. Okay. Directly in front of. Is this one of those where you tell me if I was right on the first one, are you are going to make me do both first? No, you get to do both. All first. right. Uh, and the team directly in front of them is... I'm going the to shows s- over at 3. I'm going to say that I'm going to say the
1: Browns are directly out of them. Okay? Now, those of you listening right now, whether you're in your car, or you're in your office, if you're in your office, do it quietly. I want you to yell out loud, the team directly in front of the Indianapolis Colts is <laughs> What are you thinking? What a guess. And for those <laughs> of you that said the Green Bay Packers, you are mm. correct. They have the Packers at 17, Colts at 18, and at 19. Who's at 19?
3: Denver Broncos. That was my guess initially. You pointed at me. I thought my guess was right. Cleveland Browns. Those are the only two names I said. Why are you pointing at me?
1: You got the right state on the second one. The Cincinnati Ah, Bengals they have at 19, which you would think are probably dropping a little bit, right? Now, our friend Ed, say his last name for me. Eric Edholm. Or Eric, excuse me. I told you I'm wacky on the job. No, I understand. You're all good. Uh, Eric Edholm, in terms of the power rankings for Eric, he has the Colts. He he shows them a little more love, a little more love for the Colts. He has them 13. So that Jimmy would put who directly in front of him at number twelve?
3: Directly in front of them at number twelve is going to be the I'll I'll stick with what I said. I'll stay I'll say the Browns.
1: Okay. And at number 14, he has.
3: I don't think he has that much love for the Packers. So I'll say the Packers.
1: He has number twelve, the Buffalo Bills. Mm -hmm. The Colts 13. Again, kind of gives you a barometer of like how other people see where the Colt like what the perception is. Number 14, he has, who's my childhood nostalgic team? Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks, number 14. So he gives them a little more love, basically, right? He has the Packers at 18, and he has the Bengals at 20. So he does give the Colts a little more. But that gives you an idea, and I think that's realistic, of where they are. I mean, not only just like where they are in the standing-wise, but Seattle's a pretty good comparison because I know that Seattle record-wise is decent, but do we know how good Seattle is? Do we really know how good Seattle is? And, and and nationally speaking, I'm not talking about in Indianapolis. But nationally speaking, Jimmy, my guess is that most people, two guys doing a radio show in Denver or doing a radio show in Buffalo or doing a radio show in Arizona, when they're talking about the AFC, they're going pretty far down the list when they get to the Colts. But then I think they think the Colts like, okay, that's a you know a possible playoff. They don't think of them as a disaster. But I think we think of the Colts as being on a little bit higher shelf than they probably are. But to their credit, they've, they've played themselves into that conversation because some, they've exceeded expectations. Some
3: pundits, including Eric Edholm, who we usually have about once a month or so on the program, and I was going to guess this team. They're not the team directly in front of the Colts, but I was going to guess them because I thought maybe because of one player's particular impact – and the tightness of the playoff race in terms of their relationship to the Colts, they would be in front of them, and they are. Do you know what team that is? They yes. are ahead of the Colts by a couple spots.
1: Say it one more time, the, the, te- all the disclaimers. A team
3: that I would have thought was ahead of the Colts, okay. that might surprise Colts fans because of one particular impact player. Houston. Yes. Yeah. They're 11th in his ranks.
1: It is amazing what C.J. Stroud has mm-hmm. done for them. By the way, and I want you to tell me, Jimmy, I'm going to let you be like my measuring stick on this, okay? Sure. By the way, the Bills are going to go in free fall in about a week. Oh, there's no I mean there's like in terms of the power rankings. like so they could be ahead of the Colts brutal. today,
3: it's done. They still play Kansas City, Dallas,
1: and Miami. It's over. If if I'm screaming today, I need you to I can't hear anything. What? Exactly. I'm all wacky on the junk, right? I I have got literally uh, like Walter White is offended how much Sudafed <laughs> I'm on, right? So so I'm wacky on the junk. I'm all stopped up. I can't hear anything. So I'm, I might I don't know if I'm yelling I don't know if I'm too soft. I, I don't know. I, 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 so I need you to be my guiding force to carry me and help me through this. Does that work? Yes. Including in 20 minutes when we talk to Tony East about the Pacers and their game last night against the Blazers. A little bit disappointing, no question about it. And we'll try to get him to explain the in-season tournament as well.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Key Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: Jimmy, you ask an interesting question regarding former Colt, former Panther head coach Frank Reich. I thought it was interesting yesterday that my buddy uh, Paul the Mailman texted me and said, you realize that the only two coaches to lose their job this year before the season ended were the first two coaches that Chris Ballard as a general manager hired. Josh McDaniels and then even though I think Reich was probably more an Ursay call, uh, Frank Reich. But you asked an interesting question in the break about Frank Reich.
3: Yeah, so this is from Pro Football Network as well as the Dan Batard show with Stu Gatz. They're Both sources were highlighting Frank Reich and his firings. There's been times, Jake, where like I, I feel bad for coaches at times, especially Frank Reich, because I do like him. always thought he was a good guy. But you could at least think, well, at least he's getting all that money. The Colts were still owed through 2026 for him $9 million per year. A total of $36 million over that span. And my question was, Sometimes with college contracts, there are contingencies where if you get hired for another job, you don't make that money anymore. It gets offset somewhere, right, with the new job. If it doesn't in the NFL, which I'm still looking for that answer, Reich is still owed $36 million from the Colts, including this year. And he will make $25,000 a day for the next three years from the Carolina Panthers. Not a bad way to go out.
1: Yeah, you'd probably take that, right? (laughs) I
3: would.
1: I would. You know, when Yadis signed his latest contract, I looked up, I, I do this sometimes because, you know, I'm neurotic. I, I, I looked up his, his last year's numbers, last season's numbers. Now, I know that his new contract doesn't go into effect until, I think, next year. Sure. But if in the first year of his contract he replicates the last full season that he played, then what that equates to is that every – Field goal he makes. Every basket he makes. Okay. So you go to a game between the Pacers and the Bucks. Giannis gets the ball, dribbles, turns around, lays it in. He had what, 52 when they came here? Yep. Okay. But if you, I'm strictly going off the average numbers. Next season assuming he plays the same number of games he played in a full season last year and has the same number of field goals if he were to replicate those exact same numbers only the salary changes would you like to guess what he makes per basket fifty thousand over that he makes more per he makes four thousand dollars more per basket than the average American annual salary per basket now, free market enterprise, man. Capitalism 101. I mean, if, if he has a, a yeah. unique skill that makes somebody a ton of money. So, therefore, he is, if you can get it, go get it, man.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I never fault players in in any realm of society, but in particular with where the media rights deals are in today's NBA. Right. It's monopoly money, right? Like It's not, people like to throw that at players all the time. As long as you are, I mean, you can do whatever you want with your money, but if you're willing to give back and, you know, help out, like that's, always great too the flip side to these two scenarios of coach and player is thankfully for both the Colts and the Panthers salary cap not impacted by right that money versus the honest thing you mentioned Well, the we owner of the Panthers the
1: is out of his mind oh he's insane he is now fired so he owns the soccer team and the football team in in Charlotte yep he has fired five coaches in about four years
3: if you count interims yes three full-time coaches and I think two or three interims along the way
1: it's fantasy football to him yep Right. Yes.
3: Literally, it's fantasy football to him. And until I hear otherwise, I will go to my grave saying he was the decisive decision maker of we're taking Bryce Young over. CD that Trout. is correct.
1: And I also think that he. I think there are other coaches that were. I don't know this, but but I. I could see how there would be some that would be hesitant to go there. Let's say that, right? Yes. I mean, a job's a job, and that kind of money, you got to do it. I mean, for for what they're making, it's incredible. The hours that are put in, though, for a a head football coach, I mean, there's a lot that, that goes into it. But, you know, I saw somebody with Shaquille Leonard. I don't even know if I mentioned this, but the other day when Shaquille Leonard was released, somebody sent a tweet that said, Hey, while everybody is talking about the fact that this guy was released, let's please stop to consider and be respectful of the fact that he is still a young man with a family of two children that are going to have to figure out or that, are, that he's going to have to explain to them why they have to move out of their house and now he's out of a job. And I'm like, uh, okay, hold on. His two kids, I looked it up, are three and two, right? and he has already made 52 million dollars in his career if he decides you know what I want the kids to be able to go to the same poly panda that they've always gone to he probably can remain living where he is I don't think he's getting evicted right yeah uh, I mean a tweet like that for we me. moved three times by the time I was the age of five to three different cities I I'd like to think I turned out okay, right? I mean, come on. That's not even close to the real world.
3: No, I I think a tweet like that is more directed towards... There's a fine line with it, right? Like, criticism is allowed, but oftentimes, especially when a high contract money is involved, especially on Twitter or X, as we sometimes call it, the vitriol is insane. Like, I I feel like that statement, that tweet, is for a certain segment of fan.
1: Well, no, that tweet is... It should be anyway. If it's for anything else, then it's stupid. Jimmy, when it comes to professional sports, the reality is this. I get it. I mean, listen, you don't have to tell me. I, I, I When it comes to big-time sports and the pressure of winning that comes with it, okay, for a long time, I've kind of lived with it. I, I, I get it and understand it. I, I see how it impacts and affects the family. I, I get it. I totally understand. But at the same time, with that kind of exorbitant salary comes some cost. And part of that cost is that when it comes down to it, there is a, for all the public praise that comes with making multi-millions of dollars a year, also comes with it a little bit of a different absorption of the disappointment when you're released. That's just the reality of it. It's what you I sign mean, up for. Yeah. Correct. It's what you sign up for. I mean it, that, that is the cost of being able to to make fifty two million dollars in four years. When that happens, that means that when, that when when you are no longer performing, you're going to be part of why you make twenty million a year, ten million a year, five million a year, whatever an athlete makes, part of why you make that money is to hold you the accountable. And with the understanding that, that it's because you are able to perform at a level that the average person cannot perform. So you are well aware of the fact that when that salary or when that performance dips, that if it's not a guaranteed salary, that it is in jeopardy. You're instantly held to a higher standard. Correct. When you put I mean, that's paper. unfair sure. and it's yeah. harsh, but that's the reality yes. of it. That's the reality yeah. of it.
3: Yeah. I mean, the only time I don't not lose sight of that, but the only time that I have a problem with it is like it's. There's a fine line between criticism on the contract and going after somebody personally, right? Like that's that hasn't happened with most reactions. It doesn't happen here, but like that's that's the only part where I feel kind of bad. Like yes, there is a contract that you sign and you're living up to this standard, and if you don't perform, you deserve to be criticized for it. But like when it gets to the levels of hate and like true fanatical insanity, that's where I kind of say, hey, let's, let's take a step back for a second. Uh, this from Steelers fan. Hey Jake,
1: you can say what you want about Kenny Pickett's tiny hands. That's a made-up stat. Okay. Here's not one. He's a trash quarterback. Uh, he kicked the Colts' tail last year, and he'll do it again. They got lucky facing injured Watt, who had missed half the season. It's not going to be that way this time unless he gets hurt Hurt versus the cards or the pats. Okay. How about that? <laughs> He does have little hands. That's not a made-up stat, right? They put his hands on a little sheet of paper. They were, You know what the, you know what it is. Each year at the NFL Combine, they have all of the players make the little artwork turkeys with their hand. And they usually use poster board. And then with Kenny Pickett, they're like, oh, his hand actually fits on an 8.5-11 sheet of paper. That's cool. And his little hands, they put it down. And his little bitty turkey. Little there's, turkey there, hand.
3: There's two reasons the Steelers are winning games right now. It's Mike Tomlin and that defense. That's it. In the running game, I suppose. They have a nice running game.
1: But Kenny Pickett's not the reason. But here's the thing. I've, I, I will – I've always felt this, though. If a quarterback – I remember when – like, people can say all they want – when Tebow was with Denver and they were winning, like, 10 yeah. straight games. People are like, they got to change the quarterback. I'm like, why? If it's an ingredient that's part of winning, then stick with it, right? No, you
3: stick with it while it's hot, but eventually it fizzled out, right? Like, that's – you enjoy the moment, but – that ended the way I think a lot of people figured it would. He just happened to catch lightning in a bottle for. Three
1: but that's what months I'm saying. The right time. But when if a guy catches lightning in a
3: bottle, you ride the lightning, Correct. don't you? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm not disagreeing with that aspect of it. Just eventually you
1: make the change. So Kenny Pickett's stats this year. I mean, do you think? Like, is Pittsburgh looking to? Is that a position where they look at because they're they're right where, like you look at the Colts. I mean, I guess maybe they're in similar situations because the Colts have a quarterback that you know is not their long-term guy, but they're in the playoff hunt, right?
3: In terms of quarterbacks that would get a contract, I don't even know if he'd get this because he hasn't shown even remotely close to the he flashes of Daniel Jones. Kenny Pickett is closer to a type of contract you would sign the Daniel Jones route versus the Kyler Murray route, and here's why. I use those two players as an example. But Daniel Jones signed a huge deal. Right, but here's why I use those two as an example. Daniel Jones did sign a huge deal, but he signed a huge deal that was lesser than what is usual for a quarterback at the end of that rookie contract. It was still a massive number, but it, it wasn't like it. a long, long-term, over-the-top commitment. Pickett is one of those guys where he plays just well enough where a franchise like the Steelers might say, Well, here we are. Year three next year. Then year four. What do we do with them? Okay, I guess we'll pay him a little bit because we're afraid to start over again.
1: Do you think when Kenny Pickett signs that contract, they give him a pen that's the size of those little putt-putt pencils? <laughs> it's actually one they get in those
3: 50-cent machines outside the grocery that's right. store. Just little, little tiny There's pencil. No, no hands.
1: <laughs> I would be so humiliated. I, I'm telling you. Like, if I if I knew, if I had little hands, and I knew at the combine they were going to measure, I'd skip the combine. i am like, no, I'm good. Why? I don't want people to know I have little hands. You know what I mean? The two things about, like, I just I I I wouldn't want anybody to know number one and then number two like I've always wondered this about hands though remember Dan Marino
3: yeah I remember Dan Marino yes
1: I'll ask Carl Carl do you remember what product Dan Marino endorsed back before like players were doing big endorsement contracts shampoo nope hmm the big one he had shoes Isotoner gloves. Oh, okay. So Thanks. Dan Marino was like the poster child for Isotoner gloves. He was the original ad campaign guy for Isotoner gloves. Every commercial, Dan Marino, Isotoner gloves. Finally, one time, I think I told you this on the air, Jimmy, I interviewed Dan Marino one time, and at the end of it, I'm like, I have a question for you. He goes, okay. And I go, how often does a guy in Miami have to wear Isotoner gloves? <laughs> He's like, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> like, why in the world would... And Dan Marino's hometown is Pittsburgh. Maybe maybe what they were thinking was he needs isotoner gloves for when he goes home to Pittsburgh. And they wanted to use a Pittsburgh quarterback as their spokesperson for isotonic gloves, but they couldn't. You know why? Why is that? Because he's got little hands. <laughs> Kyle, can he pick it, right? Yes. He's got those tiny little hands. They can't use it for a glove endorsement. Uh, Tony East, by the way, was there last night. Pacers, Blazers at the field house. Disappointment for sure. We'll get into that and more, and I'm going to have him try to explain the end season tournament for the 18th time
2: next. Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: You're listening to Quarry & Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: So here's what we have established in the first hour of this Tuesday edition of Quarry & Company. Carl took a photo on the Hollywood Walk of Fame of the Doors star, but then later admitted that he had no plausible reason to do so because he can't name any Doors songs.
3: He was completing an amazing race challenge. It was one of correct? The legs. You had to find the Doors that's a, that's star. A
1: fabulous show, by the way. Yeah, it's good stuff. Absolutely the best. Are you watching it right now? I'm not watching it it's right a great now. Great show. Though. So we established that. We established that Jonathan Taylor, by the way, is his future is uncertain. Let's say that after a thumb injury that was that took place or developed in the Tampa game, and the Colts are. Just awaiting to see where that stands and whether or not they're going to have to lean on Zach Moss for the remainder of the season or the bulk of the remainder of the season. That is obviously um, influx or inflow. Pacers last night lost to the Portland Trailblazers, and I am a walking meth lab because I'm stopped up with a sinus deal that I got from Jimmy, uh, only because we sit in close proximity. Don't think anything other than that. And we don't know when that's going to end, but I'm wacky on the junk, and I don't know what I'm talking about, and I can't hear myself.
3: You should be good by Christmas.
1: Well, by then maybe I'll also understand what the in-season tournament is. <laughs> so Tony East joins us now to talk about the Pacers and more. He, uh, Tony East, actually is employed by the same number of places as products that I have taken in the last two hours for my sinus congestion. So Tony, run down for me real quick. Forbes, WTHR. Set the rest up for me here. <laughs>
4: yes, uh, SI. I am a real person, <laughs> uh, not AI. Uh, I have to throw that in now, Lock on Pacers podcast, you got them all, you got them all, I'm not a robot, I have to clarify with people now, that That's I am right. a real person.
1: Okay, let's begin with the, and by the way, when you have to do that little test to click on like anything in the picture that has a fire hydrant, and there's like nine photos, do you ever get, are you like me and you get super nervous and freaked out, you're like wait a minute, I can't tell, is that is that fire hydrant touching the corner of this square or not, does that ever happen to you?
4: Well, since I'm a robot, I've never actually succeeded in one of those. So <laughs> you
1: just know. click, I am a robot, right?
4: I, yeah, I click, I am a robot. That's, That's right. Fun. Also, I now have a goal of working in as many doors song titles as I can to my answers today.
1: So okay. To so, this all work great. Well, Carl well, will know two of them. Because try to the get as many in before the end <laughs> as you can. Uh, see what I did there? Uh, okay, Tony, please explain to me the end-season tournament. Uh, okay. In the shortest
4: form I can... Uh, Every team in each conference was sorted into one of three groups of five teams. Why they didn't use divisions, I don't know. That would have made more sense, but whatever. Uh, Those, you play every team in your group once in a regular season game, and then it's like the World Cup with the groups. The top finisher in each group moves on to the playoff bracket, and then the best team that didn't win their group will also move on. So four teams from each conference, and then it's an east uh, side and a west side, quarterfinals, semifinals, finals all-single elimination like March Madness. And every game of the in-season tournament is just a regular season game with a little added stuff except for the championship game, which is a standalone event that will be on December 9th. Uh, And the semifinals and finals are both in Vegas. So the Pacers swept their group, 4-0 in their group. Those are some of their best performances. Maybe their only really good ones of the last few weeks. So they're going to be hosting a game in Cambridge for the quarterfinals, and if they win that, They will go to Vegas for the semifinals for all regular season games unless they make the title game. And the the other teams,
1: so then the other teams just play each other in totally meaningless games that are rounding out the schedule, but it does not count for the in season tournament except for that it's against other teams that were in their pool?
0: Yeah,
4: so the other 22 teams that don't make the playoffs will have two games scheduled between December 2nd and 11th that will just be regular season games. So that's the part that's unknown. The Pacers. If they win, obviously, they'd play the team that wins the other quarterfinal game. And if they lose, they'll just play the other team that lost. <laughs> so that's pretty easy to sort out. I guess it's possible. They could actually have two home games, right, depending on who loses and how the schedules break out. Okay, But that, that part is still CBD. Here
1: Here's my only question in this, okay? So, and I guess it maybe it, it, it balances out because you had to get a number of wins to put yourself in this position. But hear me out here, Tony. Is it possible in the end this could be detrimental because let's say, for example, at the end of the year, the Pacers are tied record-wise with, I don't know, Charlotte for the eighth seed in the East. Wouldn't the Pacers then have like a little bit of revisionist history of looking back and going, you know what? We put ourselves in position in that in-season tournament where because we won an extra game, we had to go and play two better teams as opposed to staying back in the loser bracket and playing Detroit twice.
4: Yeah, I said that on Locked on uh, Lockdown Pacers a few weeks ago. Like, one of the little unintended side effects of this is that you're guaranteed a harder schedule, right, if you get far. The extra teams you're playing are by default, well, I guess you could say by default good teams, although you're going to see probably, you know, Sacramento, Indiana looking like they're already going to make it. Into this. It's not like all the best teams, the Nuggets, are already eliminated, Some other good teams are already – Philly's not going to make it. Boston has to have a lot go their way to make it. But it's still good teams, right? Like the the most likely – this is a little bit of guessing because it depends what happens tomorrow. But the most likely four teams in the East is still Milwaukee, Indiana, I think New York, and either Orlando or or Boston. So that's still tough, but it's not like that hard. But either way, yes, uh, that could matter quite a bit that Charlotte, who is almost certainly not going to make it, for example, could be playing – who knows – Toronto, and Chicago in in the
3: coming days. Two kind of rapid-fire questions here. Tony East covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated with us on Query and Company. Today at whatever, I guess midnight, so into tomorrow morning, we will finally know who the Pacers are playing in the quarterfinal, correct? Yes. And then from there on out, it is that quarterfinal home game. If they win that, they're in Vegas for the semifinal and the final.
4: That is correct, yes. Both of those are right.
3: Okay. I just want to clarify both those things because Jake was hammering me with questions like he did you and I got (laughs) to the point of, well, who do they play? I was like, I have no idea. And then I told him, hey, in-season tournament tonight, lock in on League Pass. You can get the the whole slate of the conclusion of this inaugural event. (laughs) There you go.
4: I I have actually, like, I know there's a lot of questions and it's kind of confusing. I actually really like the in-season tournament just because it doesn't subtract anything from what already was in place. So if you're the team, maybe you don't like that your schedule gets a little harder if you do well. But, you know, every player, and it sounds like from reporting coaches as well, gets a monetary prize from it. If you make the quarterfinals, you're already in the money. So the Pacers and stands, I think every player gets 50000 added on to what they already make, which, you know, isn't a huge deal for some of those guys, but is for some of the other ones. And uh, so that's significant to them. And, of course, if the Bucks win – Tonight, the simplest way possible. Then the Pacers just play the winner of Group C in the East. So that's the easiest way to track it. But if the box lose, then it gets very complicated because they could play any number
1: of teams. Tony, what player on the Pacers roster currently, if any, has you concerned? Concerned? Mm, you know, they have all
4: kind of had games where you can really tell that they're, you know, what their role is supposed to be and what they're, uh, what the you know, like what the Pacers view for them in the best case of this team. So I wouldn't say anyone's had a season that I think is, like, concerning, but the two guys who I would say have been the most kind of up and down or the most kind of, you know, question marks about what, what their role is on this team at their best or long-term with the team would be Ben Matherin and Obi Toppin. Uh, Obi Toppin is, like, feels like he hasn't missed a shot in two weeks, and I'm still saying that because his defense, he, he has size. He's six nine, right? That should be something that matters on the Pacers who really can't handle these big wings, but they still can't have him out there all the time for key defensive moments, and – even when he's making every shot, there's still some hiccups on what he provides and, and stuff like that. I don't think he's been bad. I think he's been a good enough fit and has figured out where his shots are coming from. And he's really improved his balance as a shooter. That's all really important for him, but still some work to do on the defensive end. Certainly, uh, you know, they've challenged him to be a better rebounder. And then Matherin's had quite a few games where you really see the vision, right? Where the passing's there, the defense is there. Detroit last week, Milwaukee a few weeks ago, and he's had some other games where, you know, he misses a few defensive assignments and checks out and comes out of the game and, For somebody else or you know he he can't quite find his shots in the flow of the offense he really likes to catch and assess and size things up and that's fine there are times where that's helpful but the pacers really fling the ball around and play with speed so that kind of doesn't match up perfectly with the way they play i know they're trying to mold him into the player that he can be at his best for them which does require kind of changing his habits changing his skills in a hard scheme but those are the two guys that i would say in terms of how they help the Pacers this year and beyond, I would say that there will be the most concerns about if that even is the right word.
3: Tony East of Sports Illustrated with us covers the Pacers for them. For you, Tony, as you look at this team, and you looked at last night's box score, you see 33 points from Tyrese Halliburton, 9 assists, 3 of 6 from 3-point land, 11 of 17 from the field. If you just had that in front of you, I said earlier, I would have thought that was a Pacers win, but then you look deeper in the box score. And as you watch that game, the turnovers, the sloppiness, and Jake highlighted it, the turnstile at times defense. 16 games in, at what point do we get a clear picture of what this team is going to be, especially defensively? How how much further into the season before you can clearly look at them and say, that's pretty much what they are. They're going to have some anomaly games, but this is what they are on that side of the ball.
4: I mean, I, my my gut would be to just say zero. I think we already have a pretty good sense of that being a, an issue they're going to have for most of the season, right? They do have a new scheme. It's hard, right? Rick Rick said that very clear when he talks to us that their their scheme requires a lot of fighting over screens, a lot of communication, a lot of rotation. And when you play fast and you're and you're moving a lot, it's hard. And I, I I'm receptive to that. I agree that it can be challenging. But he's also said, you know, he said it on. Um, the morning show this morning that like Orlando's playing a similar style. They have the best defense in the league, right? It is a successful scheme when it works and everybody can do all of the hard things involved with it. That just hasn't happened yet for these guys. And they're close to the bottom of the league. They might still be the worst defensive rating in the league. As of this morning, I haven't checked again because they defended. Okay. Not good enough, but okay last night. So they have, there have been some moments, fourth quarter in Philadelphia, fourth quarter against Detroit, a lot of their game against Chicago, uh, where, where you go, oh, okay, you know, the, the defense looks okay here. You can see what the vision is. You see what the lineups are that work. But the trouble is, I think Dustin O'Pierrex done a good job being all over this this season, is their best defensive lineups and their best offensive lineups have almost no overlap, right? Maybe just one player. So it's really hard for them to lock into their schemes and still be the team they want to be, playing fast, scoring a bunch of points. And so I think we kind of know that maybe they can get it up a little bit from the, the basement of the league. But I kind of feel like their defense is going to hover in the bottom you know, 8-5 to five all season unless they really find a way to buy in and find some lineups that can both score and defend.
1: I, I think the thing, Tony, and you tell me if you disagree with this, Tony East is our guest. The thing that, that really right now is, is holding them back, I guess, a little bit defensively, I think they've got three really good, like, on-ball defenders. You know, Bruce Brown is a really good defender. And Andrew M. Hard can be a good defender. Aaron Nesmith is a good defender, but I don't know that they necessarily are like lateral quickness defenders. They're good Definitely. if they're right in front of you and they're kind of bulldogish. But if you have a quick step and you can get around them, then literally it's like the seas just part. And I know Miles Turner is a good rim protector, but I just think teams are it, it, they are making it way too easy for teams to get into high-percentage operating areas, and I think a lot of that is just they don't have the lateral quickness to squeeze people out of the wings as opposed to just basically, you know, bullfighting, letting them run right in. Does that make sense?
4: I 100% agree. I've been saying that about some of their perimeter defenders as far back as Malcolm Brogdon, right? He was so big and stocky, but as soon as he had to move side to side, he was very limited, right? They have a lot of guys who can defend your DeMar DeRozans pretty well who aren't very shifty, but – when they get on a quick ball handler who can dribble it around them, it gets a lot more challenging for them. I think Andrew Nemhardt has a little bit of lateral quickness, but I agree on the other two. And there's only so much Miles Turner can cover up, right? Like, I tweeted about this. There was a play last night where he came over and blocked Jeremy Grant, but his man was now open because Miles Turner had to rotate over, and then Aiton just grabbed the rebound and scored on a putback. Like, you know, they got the stop on the play with the help rotating over, and they still gave up buckets because they had to rotate, and it all stemmed back from an easy drive to the rim. Or Portland, right? That they they can't stay in front of these guys. They can't prevent all these rim attacks. And some of it is their scheme is intentionally they're trying to limit threes and kind of corral stuff towards the middle where they can stop it. Sure, that's smart. They only gave up 23-point attempts last night. Like that's, that's good. In the current NBA climate, that's really impressive. But at the same time, well, there's only so much Miles Turner can do from a volume perspective defending the rim, and there is a limit on – what the impact of that can be when you can just see what happened last night where, you know, Aiden scoops up offensive rebounds or they make a bunch of tough mid-rangers and layups all night. And then the defensive scheme, while it looks good and forces the shots you want, still isn't enough. So I agree with you on the lateral quickness thing. Like, Mather has pretty good lateral quickness, I think. That's why he was so effective in that Detroit game late. They had him in on defense, and he was really good in that stretch. But he doesn't have it all the time on that end of the floor, right? He had that moment last night Everybody has seen now where, Carlisle's not happy he didn't come down to double team. At least that's what it looks like from watching. We didn't ask, uh, he didn't talk about that after the game. So um they they have a lot of work to do on that, and I think that is certainly a big part of it.
3: Tony East, Pacers beat rider for Sports Illustrated, is our guest. Tony, are you glass half full or glass half empty with the Pacers right now in this scenario, which is nine and seven, but man, the East is pretty crowded in the five seed to ten seed range. There's still plenty of games left and still in the mix of things. Are you glass half empty of, well, they're six and five at home this year. 11 of their 18 have been at home and they could have gotten more separation and a better foundation to set them up for not an easier path, but but more wiggle room as they really get into the meat and potatoes of the rest of the year.
4: Yeah, the recency bias part of me wants to say half empty because, you know, to me, they just finished this vital stretch of games. They had five in a row and it was – um, oh, my gosh, I'm blanking on the person they played in this. But they, they had Atlanta in there, Toronto, Detroit, Portland, and, and Orlando, right? And Orlando's playing good, so maybe they shouldn't be included in this mix. But, you know, that five-game stretch is right before they have this upcoming long road trip and the in-season tournament quarterfinals, right? Their schedule's about to get a lot harder. So if had they gone, you know, 4-1 and one in that stretch, just losing to Orlando and then beating the other teams that it looks like they have a better record than or are a better team than. So they would be 11 and, what is it? I can't do math. 11 and five right now, right? That looks great. That would be awesome. They went two and three in that stretch of five, right? That's tough. They've been alternating wins and losses all month long. The last time they won two in a row was back when it was Utah, San Antonio. we in Indy. So part of me wants to say half empty. And the other reason I want to say that is because, you know, if they had a couple, like one or two close losses at home, I think you could shrug it off a little bit, right? That happens to teams throughout the course of the year. The Pacers, as a road team, had those, Really impressive upsets on the road in L.A. and Golden State last year where they should have been the inferior team, but they got it done. It does happen. But to have four of them this early in the season all really close is really deflating, right? You could kind of sense the tone change last night and some frustration. And so maybe that wakes them up to play better, and that would be a glass-half-full reason. But the recency part of me wants to say half empty, even though they have a pretty good record because – They've won some impressive games, like in Philly, like in Atlanta, like in Cleveland, right? They beat Milwaukee, which is something they never do. So their highs are really good, and maybe that should make me say half full, but the recent part of their schedule is kind of making it hard for me to answer that.
1: Tony, you've been up to that Kroger sky deck?
4: I have. I, I try to go almost every game. I love it up there.
1: So, so let me ask you – I got a dumb question. I, I went up there for the first time uh, a couple games ago, and I thought it was, like, super cool, right? For yeah. those that are unfamiliar, it's at the very top of the field house – it's a railing. They've got like some, you know, like bar stools you can sit on. It's really a great vantage point. I mean, of the of the arena because you got the the jumbotron and you know video board, whatever you want to call it. And then you can really kind of see the plays develop. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, is that like a? Is that just open to anybody with a ticket, or do you have to buy like a standing room ticket to be up there?
4: That I don't know. I think that they were planning on selling tickets for up there at some point, but as I as I understand right now i think it's just people who meander up from their seats and are up high and enjoying them. my favorite part of it jake is that you're you're behind the banners right so like the the experience of seeing the names in front of the court looks pretty cool but i think currently it's just people who meander up but i could be wrong about that i'd like to have
1: so like when i have my pbr party tony which you're welcome to come to by the way uh diet cokes are fine but they don't sell pbr <laughs> at the field house so that's going to be a challenge right i don't think that there's a partnership between the pacers and pbr um but I think it'd be fun to have my PBR party in the Kroger Sky Deck.
4: Uh, that would be the greatest place for it, I think. It's really, I, I, I see what you're saying about the Florida Belt. Develop- the best view I've had off-season was the
1: in-season tournament court from up there. The blue stands out so much yes. against
4: this region. That looks pretty sweet.
1: Yeah, the um, the problem, what where did they play? I think it was Atlanta. The in-season tournament game in Atlanta, that floor, it looked like my... I, I, I felt like I was playing Atari on a 1983 television and the colors were going out. And I couldn't tell. Every time a guy went to the baseline, they they got swallowed. They disappeared. Did you notice that?
4: Yeah, there are some courts where it's actually tough to see what's going on. Like all the red ones, I can't see the ball the whole game, right? Like that's, that's very concerning. It's like following a hockey puck instead of a basketball totally. game
5: where it kind of flows.
4: So I don't like those as much. Uh, I don't like the disappearing stuff. I don't like that players are slipping. I like everything about the instant tournament except the courts. Maybe that makes me an old man, but I don't. I don't. I
3: don't like them. Tony, I have a crazy one to throw your way. If okay. I told you a player was averaging, I don't know, twenty-six points. Let's say twelve assists, north of fifty percent from the field, and let's just say I don't know ballpark forty-five percent from downtown. Would that type of stat line? be good enough to get you in the MVP conversation. And if it is good enough to get you in the MVP conversation, let's just be honest and say that mystery player is Tyrese Halliburton. What would it take for him to get there? Because even though they're kind of middling around right now in the East, the leap for him from from last year to this year with the Pacers is a superstar-like ascension to where he's clearly one of the best point guards at minimum in the league. Two-part question there. What would it take to get there, and is that stat line enough to get there?
4: Yeah, the stat line is pretty close, right? He's shown that he's the best setup man in the league. Certainly, maybe not the best passer, um, but the, in terms of what he does for the Pacers' offense, from both the scoring and passing perspective, yeah, yeah, he's the engine of their team. He creates the most points per game, right? He's been so good. He's ascended from you know that twenty to twenty-five range, certainly into playing like a top five to ten guy this year. I, I one of my least favorite phrases of the discussion of his MVP conversation, just because. I think Jokic has been the best player, and so the conversation is, has he been better than Jokic? And the answer is no. So I will shoot down the MVP conversation question. But I will say, getting into like being considered one of the best in the NBA. I mean, statistically he's already there, right? A lot of offensive impact metrics are like, hey, this might be the best offensive player in the league right now. And he keeps every season he shoots over forty percent. He keeps getting better as a passer and score. Right? He is that good. For him to get into the actual conversations, I think it's the same thing it is for a lot of guys who are on this descent. We got to win. They got to win, right? If they won all these close games like they talked about at home, and they had, you know, 12 wins, 11 wins, 13 if they won all four, yeah, I think he'd definitely be a guy talked about. Of hey, this guy actually win MVP. But I think at nine and seven, it's a little harder because you know, he does have his defensive limitations. And that's kind of a part of their record as well that they stink on that end of the floor. So I think he certainly ascended into the top probably 10 to 12 players in the league this season with room to go higher still. I mean, statistically, he's above that. But the Pacers are nine and seven. I think that's holding him back from really getting into those conversations.
3: Is he hampered more by the Pacers being what they are from a roster construction slash? Not that like the roster is bad, but where they are win loss versus what's around him, or is he hampered more by the fact that Jokic exists? <laughs> uh,
4: that Jokic <laughs> exists. I mean, I think Jokic should have been MVP last year. So if I was a voter, he'd be uh, running towards a four times. So. Uh, with no offense to any other player in the league, including Joel Embiid, who was great last year, uh, Jokic is just—he's he, kind of figured out basketball. It's kind of hard to explain, but if you watch the Nuggets, like he can do no wrong, basically.
1: Tony East is our guest on Twitter at Tony X, whatever you want to call it. Um, Tony, the two rookies now again assigned to the Mad Ants in the G League—that's kind of going to be, you know, a back and forth. I have a feeling over the course of the year. Any reason for concern with that?
4: Uh, I would say no. And can I give you a stat right away to to to, to shoot that down? It's there now. We're now at 14 out of the 31st round picks last year that have played in the G League this year. Right, like half the first round has already been assigned at least one. Now, if you want to, the, the concern would be that it's a lottery pick, right? The only other lottery pick, I think. But it's a lottery is...
1: pick whose calling card is the one thing they need the most. <laughs>
4: Right. Yeah, and the, the I'll talk about that in a second. But uh, the other all, the other lottery picks who've gone down to the G League this year, uh, Taylor Hendricks with the Jazz, Grady Dick with the Raptors, and Jed Howard with the Magic. So there's four of those guys. Uh, and those teams are similar to the Pacers in that they kind of have NBA depth, so it's harder to play those guys on their teams. Um, yeah, the, the thing with Jarris is, like, the, the the defense the Pacers play is so different than the defense he played at Houston. And I still think his frame and ability, as we saw in summer league, Will translate. He's going to be a good defender. I don't think he is right now. Like, I, I don't I don't think really any rookie is a good defensive player ever. It's very rare. Like, you have, like, what Walker Kessler was last year, for example. It's not a knock on Jarris. It's just hard. It's a big adjustment from the NCAA. So, I don't think he can solve their defensive issues this season. Maybe if they gave him a ton of time, he could. But the whole thing they've been about all season with their minutes is you got to earn it. And that whole earn it thing falls apart if one guy is just handed minutes because he's young and they want to develop him. So, I think that what they're doing makes sense in terms of the messaging they've sent out about how guys are going to play and what they've done defensively. And so the best way to develop Jarris Walker in that case would be in the G League, like some other lottery picks. And he had 30 points in his first G League game uh, last week. He looked very good, especially in the second half when he really figured out where his spots are going to be off the dribble. I think that time will be helpful for him. He just wants to play in some games. And then eventually, you know, as the Pacers season progresses, maybe some guys get hurt. Jalen Smith went down last night. For example, there'll be more playing time for him to kind of have an impact and be the guy that they hope he can be one day. I don't know if it'll happen this year, but I still believe in his tools and his abilities. they just got to get him time right
1: now. Have we seen a a subtle confession, for lack of a better phrase, from the Pacers that, in fact, Buddy Heald is still the best Robin to the Batman of Tyrese Halliburton and that Benedict Matherin is not ready to be there yet? That's partial,
4: yeah, I think that's, that's a big part of the equation, right? When they changed the starting lineup in uh, that Atlanta game, when Neesmith went in there, Neesmith over top, and I, I thought would be the first starting lineup change they would make this season. I did not expect they would do the Heald-Matherin one like that, just because of the long-term thinking with Mather and halbert is still important. But, you know, obviously, Heald immediately broke out of his slump. He's looked really good since going back to the starting five on offense. His defense still, you know, has some more to this season, although he's been better on that end, certainly, um, than he was in the past. So I think that that's part of it, is that Heald is just way better playing alongside Halliburton. But the other part of it is Matherin is better when he kind of has more chances to be Ben Matherin, right? When he can do what I said earlier, where he catches, turns, sizes up the defense, sizes up his man, sees the lane he can attack and can go, you know, that doesn't work as well. When you're playing alongside Tyrese Halliburton, who's just go go go, pass pass, dribble dribble, move move, and everybody can do that, and Buddy Yield's really good at that stuff, and Mather isn't quite there yet, so you're still getting some and Mather minutes quite a bit actually. But I think that splitting them up does help both players be the best version of themselves. Right now, for the long-term version of the Pacers, uh, that's a different question because Mather and plus Halliburton together is very important for them long-term.
1: At Tony R East on X Twitter. And, of course, Forbes, WTHR, Locked on Pacers, a number of different places where you can see his work. Always appreciate it, Tony. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tony East on the program. We come back. Potentially big news for the Colts out of West 56th. We'll update you next.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesempta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: This is Query and Company on 935 and 1075 The Fan. Does
1: anybody hitchhike anymore?
3: I'm sure there's some. I can't imagine it's a. Be a good Google search. At what point did hitchhiking peak?
1: I'd say once serial killers really hit the prime, right? Once they really started to hit their groove. Like it seems like serial killers really kind of hit the hit hurt the hitchhiking business, and debit cards really hurt the panhandling business. Right? Yeah. But if Jonathan Taylor was going to hitchhike, he's going to have some issues, right?
3: Yes, indeed, he's going to have. Some trouble. Going to need uh, some assistance there for
1: certain. Uh, the report today that Jonathan Taylor apparently suffered a thumb injury <laughs> against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Now, nobody really is able to determine. I saw Mike Chappell just went back and looked and, like, has not been able to see. Like, you know, sometimes you can look back at a play and you're like, oh, you know what? That does make sense. I remember now watching, you know, yeah. a lot of times you see it with quarterbacks. They'll throw the ball and then you see them kind of wince and, like, shake their hand yep. or, you know, they're stretching it out. You can kind of tell something happened. Yep. But I guess there's really no indication as to when this might have happened. But nonetheless, you know, from a gripping the football standpoint, obviously critical. But there is the possibility, Jimmy, this could impact the availability of Jonathan Taylor.
3: Yeah. I mean, the status nationally in terms of reporters of Ian Rappaport's resume is that he's in doubt in terms of his future going into this week and beyond. And the only, and it's not an upside because you're losing a player of John and Taylor's caliber, who it appeared the last two, three weeks was finally rounding back into form of what he was, I mean, not to the level of 2021, but what he meant in terms of his argument that he deserved to be paid like a top running back in the league. I liken it to the analogy of, even though JT was by his Instagram post staying in shape, I liken it to those years when famously Shaquille O'Neal would never do anything in the summer. And then by like midway through the season, he was in shape and ready to go. It feels like JT has taken that, had taken that turn where you look at Jonathan Taylor as a running back and, oh, this is the back that they, we wanted him to pay from the very beginning. And you take him out. Yes, you have a good safety net in Zach Moss. He's proven himself, but there's going to be a step back offensively. And with the holes in the secondary for the Colts on defense, plus the up-and-down passing game, is that one loss, even by adding in Zach Moss, going to be enough to hamper their playoff hopes? That That's the ultimate question the Colts have to answer between now and, and Sunday when they
1: play Tennessee. Uh, hey, Jake, I did see Jonathan Taylor grimace at one point early in the second half. By the way, did the term grimace, is the purple blob named <laughs> for the term or is the term named after the purple blob? I have to imagine
3: that the purple blob of the McDonald's mascot is named for the
1: term. I don't ever remember seeing him grimace though, right? Like he's he doesn't, isn't he always happy because he's at McDonald's? And he's hanging around, although he's 2 he's got two buddies that are thieves, that's probably an issue. He's got another buddy that's a bird and a third's a clown. He
3: grimace, he has to grimace when he is with his buddies, right? Because they're always having these big, the hamburglers got these concoctions of theft and he's like, ugh, really? Again, man? Come on. I think
1: that's it. Yeah, two of. I mean, like, how much? How happy would you be if two of your buddies? Exactly that, right? You got the one that's a clown. His best friend's a bird. It's all awkward, right? Yeah. It says here a grimace is an ugly, twisted expression on a person's face, expressing disgust, pain, or wry amusement.
3: You had one of those earlier. Whenever you say you're guh when you're talking about a bad guh. offensive game, is that, that a grimace? Yeah,
1: I'd say so. Okay. Fair enough.
3: Monday Night Football last night was a grimace.
1: Boy, now that you mention it, did you watch?
3: I watched the tail end because I kept getting notifications on Twitter about the fact that it was at one 9 to point 9-3. And before that, it was 6-3. to 3. And I was like, and it was the third quarter. And I was like, okay, I got to see what's going on. That's this pretty is much insane. the definition of guh, right?
1: Yes. Yep. As I said to you yesterday, what did I say when you mentioned Monday Night Football? Who are the people going to be watching that game? Bears and Vikings fans. Yep. That's it, right? Yep. Now, the Bears are interesting because... So, by the way, Jonathan Taylor, that's the latest is the fact that the injury happened with the thumb. We don't know the prognosis, but the good news for the Colts is you have Zach Moss there, and you do know that you can be productive offensively with Zach Moss in the backfield.
3: He doesn't need to replace what Jonathan Taylor did. He just needs to be Zach Moss like he was to start the year, and the offense will be fine.
1: There is apparently already discussion with the Bears having two of the top five picks in the draft, or theoretically are going to. Uh, That they could totally move on from the Justin Fields era. Would Justin Fields get an opportunity elsewhere as a starter? Yes. I would agree with you. Yeah.
3: But I think the conversations about that, those have been going on in my head since they made the trade with Carolina. Like that, this was a hot seat season for Fields because the Bears might get impatient. That said, yeah, I think Fields should get another opportunity somewhere else.
1: I would agree with you. I just don't know. I mean, DJ Moore's a nice player. But does it really feel like they have weapons or anybody around him at all?
3: No. That said, Moore was part of the reason they set up a game winning field goal last night. Like, he's had flashes and they've started to gel together the last five weeks. But no, they are a. If I was the Bears and this is them being super competent all of a sudden as a franchise, if you're really done with Justin Fields, I would go take a uh, Caleb Williams or a Drake May. I would take Marvin Harrison Jr. and I would figure out the rest.
1: I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., they're going to be in the market for, right? Correct.
3: Unless someone takes him in the top three. If it well, ended those, today, they have one and four, I believe. I thought they had two and three. No, they have one because Carolina has only won one game. They definitively have one. I just don't know you're about right, their pick. Right. I don't know about their pick. I can't remember if they're like four or if they're six.
1: Well, if it's one, if they have one, then yeah, they take Williams, right?
3: Yeah. I mean, yeah. You take best quarterback on your board. And then with four if Harrison Jr. is there, I'm taking him.
1: Yeah, I would agree. Now, I think you watch. There's going to be discussion Heading into the draft, there will definitively be, and maybe it's just because we need narrative. There will be discussion heading into the NFL draft as to whether or not Drake May is going to surpass Caleb Williams as the top quarterback on the board. Yes.
3: That might even happen at your favorite combine drill.
1: You know, the combine's very important stuff. No, no. We,
3: we did this yesterday.
1: It's very important, Jimmy. <laughs> Top flight stuff takes place there. All kinds of important meetings and discussions. I mean, the combine is, that is the big deal.
3: What conversation happens sooner when we get to that point? The national conversation about May being better than Williams or vice versa, or another quarterback stumbling into the fold, or the local conversation I want to have half-jokingly of the Bears have the fourth pick, Jim Irsay having Chris Ballard make a call to move up.
1: To get... Marvin Harrison Jr. Oh, you know that people are going to say that. It's amazing to me the number. This is what's fascinating about professional sports. I remember. What year was LeBron's decision?
3: 2010.
1: Around 2008. Every team in the NBA. It was like, you know, um they're actually starting to shed salary because they're 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 creating cap space because in 2010 they're going to try to get LeBron James but don't tell anybody every team was doing that yep. everybody and every team thought they were smarter than everybody else we're the ones that are shedding cap space Because we're going to pursue LeBron James. We're going to put together movies, and we're going to have actresses like hosting them at their house, and we're going to have a parade, and we're going to all the local TV stations are going to wear 23 jerseys for three straight days, all in the sales pitch to get LeBron to come here. Galaxy brains all over the NBA. Totally. And then LeBron James says, you know what? I don't want any of that hogwash. I'm going to pick four teams. You guys can come in. Each of you gets 30 minutes to present yourself. And then I'll make a decision. And he sat with his marketing team and who, by the way, I was told by somebody who met with him, look, the group of guys he had around him were really impressive. Like they were really smart. He was very professional and he gave everybody an equal opportunity to like, you know, what happens if I come play for your franchise? And it was the Knicks, the Bulls, the Cavs, the Clippers, and the Heat. I believe those are the five that he met with. Right, but he took the meat out of everybody's hands because everybody thought they were going to be the one that with this big, and he's like, I don't need any of that. Just come in, tell me what you can offer for me, and what what your vision is, and I'll go from there. And he obviously chose the Miami Heat, right? They had the, that's what sold him. Pat Riley put the rings on the table, and that was it, right? Yep. But every team thought they were outsmarting everybody else, and with Marvin Harrison Jr., every team and every Colts fan thinks that that's what they're doing. Like literally, every Colts fan is like, you know what they should do i don't know if don't tell anybody this because i don't want anybody to like get weird ideas here but the colts should try to drag because you know i don't know if you know this marvin harrison jr's dad played for the colts <laughs> his name's marvin harrison and he was pretty good and like jim mercy loved him and they they even had like marvin harrison had his own rack of tasty cakes inside the locker room and they like came and stocked it and everything for him and he was he was you know and then he would leave after every game and go back to Philadelphia for two days, and nobody knew what he was doing, but he'd come back on Wednesday, and then we heard that he had a little kid there. Well, that little kid now plays for Ohio State, and he's really good. The Colts should go and get him, and like everybody will love it, and Jim Mercer will love it, but like that's what they should do. Well, yeah, okay. And now everybody – look, Marvin Harrison Jr., Jimmy, is the best player in college football right now. Yep. He should win the – why he's not the Heisman frontrunner – We've lost – the Heisman Trophy is supposed to be for the best player in college football, right? Yes. At the end of that game against Michigan, everybody in the country knows, okay, Ohio State's got a fighting chance here because they got the best – they have the best – the most feared player. Ask Michigan fans how comfortable they were knowing that Ohio State was down a score with a minute to go and getting the ball, knowing that Marvin Harrison Jr. was on the floor. Now, I realize – or on the field. I realize they got a pick, right, And, and they win the game. But I'm telling you, he is the most feared player in college football. And, the whole and he's narrative, the best.
3: And the whole narrative about the fact that, oh, he's not playing on conference championship sat. all right, I don't care. Yeah. I like, mean, he's shown over the entire season that he's the best player in college football. I don't need one more audition tape to win a Big Ten literally, title for him.
1: Because to- there's so much attention paid to him, Ohio State shies away from him at times. But when they go to him, he either makes a catch or you get a, a pass interference. Like, every time. Yep. Right? You know, they should they should get him. I don't know if you know this or not, but his dad, like he made a great catch against the Patriots. Jimmer said, love to have him here. Yeah, no, I know. We're aware.
3: They showed the graphic on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt last night, and it had me thinking, kind of like where the Bengals were at. Like They took Jamar Chase at the time, and Harrison Jr., I think is a better receiver in terms of the college hype around him than Chase was, but Chase one of the best wideouts in the game right now. My question was for the Bears, if he's available at four – there's your dilemma, and I know we'll get into this plenty of time to get there in January, or February, and March, but just keep this in the back pocket and think about it moving forward. If Marvin Harrison Jr. is there for Chicago at four, you have a decision to take what could be a Hall of Fame wide receiver or get a King's ransom in draft capital right. to go do it. And for that market where they are so hungry to finally be relevant again, that's going to be a very they tough a lot decision of holes, for Poles to make.
1: I know they do, but it's going, be, it's going to
3: be a tough decision for polls to make.
1: Now, what what is Fields' contractual status? Because does he does he net you anything? I think he still has one more year. I think he has a year left, right? Do do you? Yeah, a team would. Yes, there's enough quarterback desperate teams that they. Yeah, I think so. I think Fields can still be a pretty good player. I I think he's being unfairly judged because, quite frankly, I think they have absolutely nothing around him.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta And check out the details at Kisimta.com, Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Jimmy, did you see this? Um,
1: what bowl game is Notre Dame like projected to be in?
3: I did not see this. No, I'm, I'm uncertain.
1: So there is apparently—I I kid you not—an open disclaimer. I'll give credit here to Derek Schultz is the one that pointed this out to me. There is a Pop Tarts bowl.
3: I did see the Pop Tarts Bowl thing, yes.
1: And and apparently at the end of the game in the Pop Tarts Bowl, they're bringing out a guy dressed up in a big Pop Tart, and you get to like take wedges off of it. Not that. that Sorry, I, I I kid you not. Let me find the exact wording here. Okay, they are bringing out a an act. Now they got the they got the the typical mascot right, which is just some. Some idiot dressed up like a pop tart that runs around, right?
3: Versus this guy, a sane guy. This dude. Pop Tarts
1: <laughs> will unwrap the first ever edible mascot at the 2023 Pop Tarts Bowl. Oh my goodness! The winning team of the upcoming Pop Tarts Bowl. This all started, and again, I go back and blame this Duke's mail. Yes. Yeah. Everything in this world that is gross, <laughs> disgusting, excessive. Um, I mean, I like mayo, but I understand where you're no. going. No, mayo is horrific. Love you everything mayo. about mayonnaise is disgusting. Every idea about mayonnaise is disgusting. And this all we can all go back to that. I'm blaming the mayo's folk, right? The for, mayo folks. because dunking
3: a vat of mayo on the winning coach?
1: Yes, it's disgusting, right? For 60 years, Pop-Tart has sacrificed everything in the name of cozy good flavor, so why wouldn't that include our beloved football mascot? said Heidi Ray, Senior Director of Marketing for Pop-Tarts.
3: I love all the sacrifices that Pop-Tarts has made over the That's years. That's right. It's really a true story of inspiration Since we
1: announced our title sponsorship of the Pop-Tarts Bowl, first off, if you're a college football player, are you really pumped about going to the Pop-Tarts Bowl?
3: Depends. How long do I get free Pop-Tarts for?
1: That's a good point. Uh, fans have been speculating on the larger-the-life game day experiences we will be tackling, and this is the first of many traditions that fans can expect to upend on game day. They unveiled a new creative direction featuring agents of crazy. Go- they have a, literally a mascot that that apparently the te- the winning team is going to be able to take a wedge off of and eat.
3: Does the coach, do they? There's no, no way no. this
1: is real, right? This is totally fake, and they made it up to see what Sudafed hopped up sports host. We'll talk about it in Indianapolis. This is all, a, the, we're no, getting punked, right?
3: I think it's real because A, it's happening in Orlando, and B, this is an important follow-up to all of this. Does the coach of each team fill out a questionnaire before the game that asks if your team wins, what life-size edible Pop-Tart flavor do you want? Well,
1: here's another question, okay? I'm assuming this is a person that's going to have to be inside this thing, right? Yes. Do they put them through a toaster? It sounds dangerous, doesn't it?
3: Right? I hope he's just sitting in the toaster all game and then he just pops out. Yeah, I mean, come on. Right at the end of the game.
1: Have you ever toasted Pop-Tarts? I have. Who, who, who toasts Pop-Tarts?
3: Well, no, you Ask me if I have. I have. That's not how I generally eat them. Generally, I just grab them out of the box and rip them open. What's your Cookies favorite? and cream, by the way.
1: Okay. Carl, your favorite Pop-Tart? I haven't had them since I was a kid, so.
3: Can you remember a flavor?
1: Cherry? Man. Thank you. That is the best answer. Cherry really? is, in fact, the correct answer. Really? Yeah. Uh, th- they tried too hard with some of the like, you know, cookies and cream.
3: That's what I said.
1: I mean, literally, like they've gone so far now that they're going to come out with here's the pop tart flavor pop tart. What brown cinnamon sugar is wonderful. Brown cinnamon that that is good. That is solid for sure. I've
3: had the hot fudge Sunday before. I'm going back to the childhood. I haven't. I don't have pop tarts in my house, but here
1: uh, are the previous names of the pop tarts bowl. I want you to name for me a bowl game, and I will, and you, and I'll tell you whether or not it is. I mean. Literally, like name a bowl game and I'll bet it is, in fact, the Pop Tarts Bowl. <laughs> it was the Sunshine Classic, the Blockbuster Bowl, the Car Quest Bowl, had to be the, the Micron World. PC Bowl, the Visit Florida Tangerine Bowl, the Mazda Tangerine Bowl, the Champs Sports Bowl, the Russell Athletic Bowl, the Camping World Bowl, and the Cheese it Bowl.
3: Would you rather be able to consume a Pop Tart like that or would you rather get dunked with frosted flakes by Tony the Tiger and the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl. It's
1: also a real bowl. Uh probably the Tony the Tiger. Okay. I mean they're great after all. Well now w- w- the the Cheez-It Bowl, didn't they used to dump the winner in Cheez-Its? I thought so.
3: Think I still think it all started with Duke's Mayo though. Being like, "Hey, instead of a Gatorade bath, let's dump a condiment on somebody."
1: I'm telling you, th- there is nothing, Jimmy, nothing. In the world, more disgusting than mayonnaise.
3: I now want nothing more than to see Marcus Freeman eat a Pop Dart. That's that's all I want to see now. Because apparently, part of the reason this is brought up, I assume, it is an ACC bowl game, right? ACC and Big 12. Right. The the projected matchups on ESPN or Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, or NC State, Oklahoma State.
1: Where's Clemson slotting? I do a little Control F here. I'm going to go with uh, the Music City Bowl. All right.
3: Do you want to throw in a guess? Here? Uh, what? Carl.
1: Do you have it? I do.
3: They are in the DirecTV Holiday Bowl at okay. Petco Park. Now, hold
1: on. So that's out in San Diego, oh, right? Oh, sorry.
3: Wait. That's in one projection. The other one, the Bad Boy Mowers
1: Pinstripe Bowl at Yankee Stadium. Okay. Now, they would be playing what what conference? Big Ten for the Pinstripe Bowl. Okay. So I'm going to say that they would be playing, boy, uh, not <laughs> not quite Iowa. Uh Probably not Penn State. Penn State will go a little bit bigger than that. Um, Rutgers. Well done. Is that it? Yes. Gosh, what a disappointment. Okay, and then what's the other one? The DirecTV Holiday Bowl. Okay, and that one. Um, Big Ten
3: versus. So that's also Big Ten? Well, one of the projections has, a, has an ACC school. One of them has a Big Ten school.
1: Well, but you said Clemson is scheduled in that, or slated in that game, right? An ACC school in Clemson. Because these
3: are two analysts making their predictions, okay. are both projected to play a school from the Pac-12. It's the same school in both
1: scenarios. Okay, so the team that they are projected to play in the Direct is Holiday school. Bowl is a Pac-12 school. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with Arizona. No. Am I close? Well, you're in the right conference. I would Thank say you.
3: worse. I would say worse than that, and uh, you're not close geographically.
1: Oregon State. Yes. Okay. A lot of orange. There you go. They should play the Orange Bowl. The
3: Wasabi Fenway Bowl,
1: yes, 11 a.m. Here's the problem with bowl games now: nobody plays in them, right? Yeah, I mean, I that's I don't care. Like every every, I mean, I get it. I get why
3: players don't yeah, want to play in it. I don't care if you're not in the playoff and you're a player that has NFL
1: aspirations. I don't care if you don't play. I kind of mock the bowl games, but I will admit to the fact that I love it because it's just there's always something on in the background. Yes. You know what I mean? I like, get- I, like I would never watch. On a random Saturday, I'm flipping channels, and Memphis is playing Central Florida. Okay, I'm going to go back to Turner and Hooch on TNT, right? <laughs> but if it's if you attach a bowl game to it...
3: If you're playing Fenway Park at 11 a.m. and it's Boston College versus SMU, sign me up. Yeah,
1: it's like the Reese's Nutrageous Bowl, and it's exactly. Memphis and Central Florida. Yeah, sure, I'm in! Exactly. Sign me up, right? But then, and half the time, though, there's nobody in the crowd. You feel bad because there's like... You can always tell which fans, like Indiana... Indiana gets, they're like, Indiana, congratulations, you are actually going to the Sam's Septi Cleaner Bowl. Okay, great. And there's like 20,000 people there because they're like, this is awesome. Why? Because I live in Indiana and I've never actually been to Mobile before. Okay, great.
3: The Cheez-It Citrus Bowl, does that mean that you're also getting some orange juice
1: with the Cheez-Its or? That's a good question. It's vitamin C induced crackers. Is it really the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl? It is the
3: Cheez-It Citrus
1: Bowl in Orlando.
5: Big do they still have, SEC, by do the way.
1: all of the major bowl games still have the same sponsors? Is it still the Tostitos Fiesta Bowl, or has it not been that for like five years? I feel like we got into a
3: gray area with that being lost the last couple are of years. Are you aware, the Goodyear, by the way? Goodyear,
1: Chick-fil-A, Capital
3: One, Verbo. Chick-fil-A
1: Bowl, by the way, can't play on Sunday. You know that, right? Exactly. It's a Saturday game. What are the other ones?
3: Of the New Year's Six. Okay. Goodyear, Cotton Bowl, Chick-fil-A, Peach Bowl, Capital One, Orange Bowl, Verbo, Fiesta Bowl.
1: With the Goodyear Cotton Bowl? Correct. Okay. (laughs) Tostitos, by the way, when there was a Tostitos festival and they had the logo at midfield, do you know the subliminal message inside the Tostitos logo?
3: No, but I know you'll tell me and I want to know. Do you know, Carl? No idea.
1: The subliminal logo inside the tost the subliminal message inside the Tostitos logo. Are you pulling up the Tostitos logo for me, Jim? Just the
3: bag logo or what was on the field?
1: Same thing. All right. Okay. Just pull up Tostitos, right? Let me see the the image that you're pulling up. Those of you in the car do not participate in this oh, I at have the it. moment. If this
3: is it, I have it. If this so is know, what it is, I have it. You know it. what it is, right? Yes. Come want me to chair. Yeah, go ahead. Where the eye is... Oh, man, I saw... Okay, oh. wow, that was cool. I just saw it in real time. So all I thought was that it was a chip hovering over a bowl of salsa, but now I see when you go yeah. T-O-S and then the first T there's a chip being held in the hand of the first tee, the eye is a salsa bowl, and the other tee, the other hand of the chip, and they're dipping it in salsa. Correct. It's wow. two
1: people enjoying chips and salsa together. That's awesome. See? See the <laughs> things you learn on this show?
3: Educate and entertain.
1: Right. The things that you learn on this program. That's what I try to do. I'm trying to eliminate to you and introduce you to different things. But that was on the field. I wondered how many people never even noticed it.
3: I doubt I did. Based on my reaction there, it's the first time I've ever noticed So that. Notre Dame was projected for which bowl game? For one of them, they were projected for the
1: Pop-Tarts Bowl, okay. which I kind of want to see now. <laughs> That's just okay. Uh, and Do the, you eat the sides of the Pop-Tart? I break off the little the the non the non frosted part first, eat that, and then it's nothing but the, the frosted. Yes. Yeah, pastry. yeah, yeah. You say you save the good stuff. It's like last. eating the crust yes, first, right? Correct. Yes,
3: okay. yes. Uh, the I'm going to butcher this one. I was so good at the other companies. The Relia Quest Bowl. Okay rely quest bull
1: i believe that'd be Reli a quest yes
3: all right uh there oh man this is look hold on are you sitting down you're oh. sitting down i know you're sitting down are you sitting down audience raymond james stadium tampa florida projected matchup notre dame versus lsu
1: oh yeah have fun for the whole oh, family man. right exactly the whole family yeah exactly. that's exactly you know they know what they're thinking there oh, right man. they know exactly the what they're charts. doing that. I can buy some of my That own. actually would be, if LSU and Notre Dame play, that would be a huge matchup. Yep. Sign me up. And it is too bad. I mean, now, are there any games actually on New Year's Day this year? Well, that game is on New Year's Day.
3: Okay. The Relia Quest Bowl and the Cheese at Citrus Bowl are
1: both on my birthday, New Year's Day. What day of the week is New Year's Day this year? Say Monday. Okay. So, at least we know that the Chick-fil-A Bowl has to oh, be. and that, the Fiesta that, the- Bowl.
3: The Fiesta Bowl is
1: also on January 1st. Uh, Stephen Holder is with ESPN, covers the Colts. We talk to him next.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider kisimta Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: Query and Company on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Timely to have
1: Stephen Holder on the program today because there's news. Prospective news, perhaps, out of West 56th Street with the Colts. Before we get to that, Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, who covers the Colts, I have a trivia question for you, Stephen, right off the top. You ready? That's shocking. I know. (laughs) So last night we were at the Pacer game, correct? We were. Can you tell me the leading score in last night's game? (laughs) I think it was Halliburton, but I'm not sure, actually. (laughs) Because it dawned on me after the fact, we paid zero attention to the game. Well, that's what happens when I go with you because you got too many trivia questions for me.
3: <laughs> it was Jeremy Grant by a point.
1: Correct. 34 All for right. Jeremy Grant. We had, last night's trivia was decent, though, was it not? No, no. It sparked
6: a lot of conversation. It, it was. It was. Very. Right. They had a lot of wheels turning. Yes.
1: Sparking conversation <laughs> today is the fact of a report that. Uh, Jonathan Taylor could be, I guess, questionable for the rest of the year because of a thumb injury. We don't know the extent of it. We don't really even know when it happened. Uh, what are you hearing?
6: This is legit. Uh, now, we do not know you know, what the consequence of this is going to be, but this is a real thing. And I have two sources that have repeated that to me, that uh, this this could result in him missing some, some time uh they are still working through the particulars of the injury and and what it means and and what the course of action and next steps will be, so that's where they're at right now. I mean, I suspect they know more than they're telling me and and that's fine but but the fact that they are oh let me rephrase that generally, the way these things go is they don't admit to a lot <laughs> and so they're admitting to the fact that – multiple sources admitting to the fact that that this thing is real and, and that he, he could miss some time here. So it's not great, and I guess we'll see what the week brings. But uh, there's always something, right?
1: Have they – here's a weird question, Steven. Do we know which hand this injury is on? Because I realize that's not – you know it's not like he's right. a quarterback. But I would imagine even a running back, you carry the ball predominantly in one hand or the other. That's true, you do. Um, I haven't gotten that nailed down. So, I mean, I believe it's
6: the right, but I, not enough to report it. I don't have that with enough confidence to report it as fact. So I'm, I'm going to refrain from doing that. I would say though, even if it is his left, I, I think you still do have some concern because you will see ball carriers often switch hands depending on which way they're running, which way the pursuit is coming from. You know, if he breaks to the outside, running to his left for example um and this is, goes for most running backs you will often switch the ball to y- the outside hand so that you your your hand is not in contact with the the first incoming tacklers so that's a pretty uh, a, a pretty instinctual thing that running backs do so even if it is the offhand i think there's still some concern and and you would be concerned about uh, ball security there too
3: He's Stephen Holder, covers the Colts for ESPN.com. Stephen, another weird question in that same realm. We know, obviously, I would hope that it happened in game, right? And if it did happen in game, do we know where or like what point in time it happened? Has that
6: been revealed yet? No, I I don't know. I even went back and I was kind of of glossing or uh, sort of glossing over the film a little bit just now just to see if I missed something and I didn't get through all of it, but um, I I can't tell. I really can't. Uh, Someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was. No one I know, but someone on Twitter. So it's a very reliable source. (laughs) Says said said that the radio broadcast, uh, maybe you guys can help with this may have mentioned uh, that he was having his hand wrapped at some point in the game. So I don't know if I suspect maybe that was Lara or someone uh, who had eyes on that. I, I didn't, I didn't listen, so I was not aware of that and did not see it. So that's that's what someone claims on Twitter, which is a great source for information, as you well know.
1: Steven, if let's just say for the sake of argument that Jonathan Taylor is gonna miss some time and that the yeah. Twitter report was accurate, right? Um but in, in that event, do they come up with different schemes for Zach Moss to to look different than he did when Jonathan Taylor was not available, if that makes sense. In other words, to not go back to what has already been revealed. Does Shane Steichen have another rabbit in the hat, or do you just go back to, you know what, we know what worked with him before, and we're going to keep it simple? I think it's more the latter. I think you stick with what works for the most part. I I do think
6: that the schemes look a little different based on who the quarterback is or was. Now, Zach Moss played a lot more with Anthony Richardson. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, I think, shared the field with with Anthony for, like, two snaps, which is unbelievable. Uh, But anyway, you know, he he got hurt in that first – in that Titans game, in fact, the the first Titans game, which is – which was Taylor's first game and the game in which Anthony Richardson was injured. So, anyway, that could – just depending on, or de- or dependent on the way Anthony Richardson plays and the, and the types of plays you might call with him in the game, that might be somewhat different because a lot of the time we saw Zach Moss again, we saw him sharing the backfield with Richardson. So that may be different, but I don't think so. Generally, uh, I would say this, that uh, St. Steichen, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the usage of the two different running backs and and he did say very specifically going into a game that he puts, you know, they've got that call sheet that you always see play callers use, and they've got all those plays on there. And he, he revealed that one of the things that he does is that he, in his running plays, he will tag which running back he wants to run which plays. You understand? So right. there are certainly, based on that, there are plays that they feel more comfortable using Zach Moss for versus Jonathan Taylor their skill sets are different so I think that makes sense and and I think that it gives you the blueprint if you're saying you already have a blueprint for what you know works well with Zach Moss
3: does he instantly become a workhorse back if Jonathan Taylor's forced to miss time or are you using a like a Trey Sermon for example as a change of pace
6: no I, I think you go with with Moss I mean he's proven that he can do it I, I think it was what was the game was it the Ravens game where he had 30 carries yeah I mean, that's about as workhorse as you can get. So I, I just think the drop-off after him is just too big, you know? I mean, they you may spell him, certainly, from time to time, and that's fine. But I, I think for the most part, you're going to see heavy usage if Taylor doesn't play. I think you should expect to see very heavy usage of Moss, and then maybe he gets spelled a play here, a play there. But he's going to be the guy in my in my estimation, at least,
1: uh, Stephen, you covered Stephen Holder from ESPN as our guest. You covered Frank Reich, obviously, as the head coach here. Were yeah. you surprised of the timing of his release in Carolina, and was that his last stop as a head coach?
6: A little surprised, but I would say that things were were increasingly looking messier in recent weeks. You know, and. I remember a few weeks ago, you might recall seeing reports about uh, Frank Reich handing over the play calling to Thomas Brown, their offense coordinator. And then a, a couple of weeks later, when nothing really changed, uh, Frank Reich took over the play calling again. He, he usurped that uh, from Brown. That was a very strange series of events. So I had one person who's worked for Frank who gave me a theory and he said, you know, the way I see this is Frank was asked to give up the play calling. It didn't work. And so he perhaps told the owner or whoever, probably the owner, hey, let me do what I do, right? And so ultimately, when you get to that point, you're grasping at straws because you're under a lot of pressure. That's clear, right? That was very clear that there was a lot of pressure. And, and when you're losing, there's always pressure, but it's a different kind of pressure when you think, uh-oh, I, my neck might be on the line here, you know? Uh, I, I can say this. I do think, and I don't know that anyone disagrees with this. I, I don't know what you know about the Carolina Panthers under Frank Reich after 10 games with that roster. I mean, what do you really even know? You know what I mean? If that doesn't make Frank Reich a great coach, that's fine if you think differently. I just, I mean, what do you really know? What are you even basing this decision on? I just, I don't understand. If that doesn't make any sense to me. You're certainly not helping the quarterback. You you haven't helped the coach by giving him the roster that you gave him. I mean, what did anyone expect? You traded your best player. You know, I don't know. That that situation is, is a complete disaster. I do think this is probably it for Frank Reich. Uh, it would have to be a hell of a sales job to get another job, even if he got a raw deal. I just think, you know, you, you get tainted, you know, when you get fired in season two years in a row. And and in both situations, I'll wrap by saying this. In both situations, we could argue that you should have given him the year and that you didn't really gain much by making the move early. But, you know, that's the business. It is what it is.
1: You know, it's funny, Steven. I was saying yesterday, the irony being perhaps the undoing or the beginning of the end for Frank Reich in Indianapolis came with the fact that he pushed for and ended up getting probably the wrong quarterback. And then in Carolina, perhaps the undoing for Frank Reich was the fact that he – pushed for, and didn't get the right quarterback, right? Right. I mean, if, if
6: you're saying that you think he wanted C.J. Stroud, is that what you're suggesting yes. there? Yeah. Yeah, I, I firmly believe that. I'm not reporting that. Let me be clear, because I got myself in a little hot water on that. I, hot water is too strong a word, but I ruffled some feathers in Carolina a month ago. I think we might have talked about this. But basically what I, what I tweeted was that the prevailing thought around the NFL, and I have talked to people who – I think absolutely know what they're talking about. And the prevailing thought is that Frank Reich wanted CJ Stroud and that the owner was smitten with Bryce young. Uh, I've talked to people who, who worked with Frank Reich who worked for the Colts. They all think the same thing. So that's a pretty, and those are pretty compelling uh, thoughts I think to, to draw from when you're drawing your opinion on this, you know, so it is interesting. Yes, I certainly the the crossroads in Indianapolis for Frank Reich was uh the the Carson Wentz trade. No doubt about it because the way that turned out, I think undermined him with the owner. There's no doubt about it. And then as you said, not getting the right quarterback in Carolina may have been uh what ultimately did him in there. And and again, that ironically
1: might not have been his fault. Steven, I'm almost embarrassed to ask this next question because it's going to sound so ridiculous, okay? <laughs> okay. So I'm going to ask you to, to, like, have a heart in your answer, okay? <laughs> Got it. Is there any chance, any chance, that we have seen the last of Shaquille Leonard as an NFL starting linebacker?
5: Mm.
6: No, I mean, I don't think that's a ridiculous question. Not at all. Because I actually think there is a chance we've seen the last of him as a, you know, as a, as a bona fide starting player. That's possible. I mean, look, he's in Dallas this week, or at least was yesterday. And if he gets signed there, and I don't know their linebacking lineup or depth chart by heart, but whatever it is, I mean, that's a very good defense, number one. So you don't just come in and, and just rework your depth chart For Shaquille Leonard just because
1: I mean I don't know. It's not that doesn't seem like a slam dunk to me. Well was he no matter if you take away the quickness, okay, like the Mm -hmm. the ability to just go, just go, right? Like unwind and just let him go. Is he schematically, is he discipline wise a good linebacker? Or does he have to have that extra two percent motor that his body has now denied him?
6: I would say that what made Shaquille Leonard the player that he was in year one through four, what made him that player was his unique physical skills. That and his his instincts, which are elite. He definitely has good instincts. Now, the instincts are great, and and that, that can carry you through even when your body doesn't give you what you want. The problem is you've got to translate the instincts into action, I can see it, I can see the ball, I can see where it's going, but does it matter if I can't get there, right? And I think that's the challenge he's facing. Um, When you have that combination, that rare combination of instincts and just elite explosiveness, which Shaquille had unquestionably, um, that is where you get into that rare air where he was a candidate for like defensive player of the year. You know, so I I just, I don't know, man, when you take that away, I just think it's too much part of his game to, you know, for him to really ever be the same. I mean, if, unless he recaptures it, if he does great, the Colts clearly didn't think that was going to happen and they have more information on this than anybody. So as much as I hate saying these things, I take no pleasure in saying this. I, in fact, I've hated covering this story because I think we were so fortunate to watch this guy, at the pinnacle of his position, I mean, what a story. South Carolina State, he, he gets drafted, and most people have never heard of this guy. And by week two, we're like, okay, all right, yep, yep, this guy's rookie of the year. I mean, it's crazy, you know? So it, it, it really – I take no joy in it, but uh, this game is unforgivable.
3: ESPN – unforgiving, unforgiving, excuse me. ESPN, Stephen Holder, nice enough to join us. Stephen, speaking of areas where – There's murky waters for certain. We know that if John Taylor is forced to miss time, it'll be Zach Moss there. And there's stability, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation. When you look at this offense, they're averaging 21 points a game over the last three. They're all three wins. No one's going to really complain about that. When you dive deeper, one touchdown, two picks, last three games for Gardner Minshew. If the running game takes a step back or even is a little lesser than it is with John Taylor with Zach Moss out there, is there enough... Out of Minshew to think that it's not going to hurt their playoff chances if JT's forced to miss some extended time, not just Moss being out there, but what you would then continue to ask of Gardner Minshew.
6: Yeah, I think the more you have to ask of Minshew, the the more you know your playoff chances become imperiled. Okay, in my opinion, there is no doubt about that. I mean, go back to the games where he has had to. I, I think I would say you know, match the other team's quarterback or or in any kind of shootout, right? Those games are the games he struggled. I mean, if you go through that three game losing streak, what was it? Jacksonville, Cleveland, New Orleans. Yep. And all of those games have what in common. The defense gave up a ton of points. <laughs> and what happened offensively? The Colts tried to, to keep up and in in some respects they did, like in terms of just total yards and, and to some to some extent, they they were able to actually, you know, be on the same level. The the problem is the turnovers are what killed Minshew in those games. And because when you, again, when you ask him to do more, now you're asking him to press a little more, and that's when he gets outside of himself, and then you have problems. So I I think it could be it could be a major issue now. If Zach Moss is is what he can be, and they can continue to you know to give give him good running lanes, the offensive lines playing well. Uh, that was, by, by the way, a great rushing performance in light of the opponent against Tampa Bay. That is a great run defense. And the Colts, they ran the ball kind of at will in that game. So give them credit. So if they can keep generating that kind of production, even with, with Zach Moss, I think they'll be okay. And they're still going to be in it. But, but if it doesn't and
1: it falls more on the quarterback, that is a problem. Stephen Holder is our guest. He's with ESPN.com. Stephen, I'm going to look into the future a little bit here, okay? I think it's great what the Colts are doing. I know people are excited that they are right now in the playoff mix, and I think they're going to stay there based on the fact that, you know, they're playing pretty well. They've beaten literally probably three of the weakest teams in the league to get there, but you got to win the games mm-hmm. on your schedule, and they've done that. That changes a little bit the complexion of their schedule for next year if they continue to move along and have success can success and the enjoyment of it this year actually have detrimental impact next year by throwing Anthony Richardson into a more difficult scenario and a schedule that could bring them back down a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not crazy. I I think if you think about it, there will be, they, they
6: won't have a first place schedule. So that helps. I mean, I'm not picking them to win this division. I mean, unless Jacksonville is going to go on an epic losing streak, right? So, so I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it, it all depends on where they finish in the division. It'll be very interesting, in fact, because them and Houston are neck and neck right now. So, the, if the Colts in Houston, whoever finishes uh, second in the, in the division, will have you know a, a little bit harder schedule than the third place team. So, that order actually could matter, you know, not just for the draft and things like that. It's going to matter for next year's schedule. I I do think that, yes, this was the perfect storm for them schedule-wise, you know, for the team that they have this year. There's no doubt about it. Because a lot of times we talk about a schedule before the season looking like a a soft schedule, and oftentimes that doesn't tend to be the case. You know, once you, you see who's actually good in a given year, but this year, it actually held true. <laughs> like their schedule really does suck. <laughs> so, uh, it, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we won't know until this time next year. But yeah, I mean, theoretically, um, if they don't finish last place in the division, and I don't think they will, it'll be a step up for them, and it'll be interesting to see how they how they adapt to that. But but the difference between second and third could be you know
1: could be significant. So that'll be interesting. Where are they still speaking of the Colts? Where are they still the most flawed?
6: Hmm. Um, I, I think that they, I mean, honestly, we can start at quarterback. I, I just, I hate like dumping on Gardner Minshew. I don't want to do that, but I, I just think that while he has made some plays when asked to do it, like the, the new England game, like the end of the game, I mean, he did not have a good day at the end of the game. He made a couple throws, got a couple clutch first downs. They closed it out, but they have been able to protect him during this three-game streak. They they really have. And, you know, when you can't do that, that's when they get in trouble. And we've already seen evidence of that. So that's an issue. Um, but corner is still not a great situation. But, you know, to their credit, they've pulled it off in recent weeks. So I give them credit there. But, you know, do I feel great about the, the corners? I wouldn't say that. They're getting it done. And I won't take that away from them. So, we'll But, you know, if we're talking about we're talking about making the playoffs, then this has to be about consistency moving forward. You know, it can't just be, oh, they had a couple of good weeks against really bad opponents. No, you got to keep doing it. I mean, there's no, there's no room and margin for error. You know, the way, for example, CJ Stroud is playing. I mean, Houston is, is probably their, or one of their chief nemesis right now for a playoff spot. Right. So you got to keep winning. Um, so anyway, we've covered quarterback corners. Uh, I would say, the pass rush has been better, I, but what I would, what I have been disappointed with is the run defense. Like that, well, how much of that's Grover Stewart it, not being there? Yeah, I, I think I do attribute it to that. So hopefully, I'm I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and assume it gets better when Grover Stewart comes back. If we still see this issue when Grover Stewart returns, then they got bigger issues there. But I'm I'm hoping that's what that's about.
3: ESPN.com Stephen Holder, nice enough to join us. Steven, from a passing game standpoint, in terms of where the targets are being distributed, I felt like Michael Pittman Jr. and Josh Downs clearly solidified themselves. They weren't already as your one-two punch in the passing game. As you look at the rest of the schedule, is it a distribution of those two wide receivers getting 65% of the targets? I know it's probably an easy question, but is that type of distribution the best path to success in the Colts passing game moving forward this year?
6: Yeah, as long as you're not forcing the ball to people. And, you know, there were some situations, I thought, on Sunday. uh, Gardner Minshew and Josh Downs just could not connect. I don't know what was going on there. I I think a lot of it was on the quarterback. Uh, Downs did have a drop, at least one drop. uh, That was pretty blatant, so that didn't help. So, you know, sometimes that can happen. And and maybe it's just a one-off. I don't know. But it's just you know, you don't want to force the ball to people because you've had past success there, you know, someone else might be open, you know, so, so that that's the only, that's the only caveat I, I would add to that. Um, I'm fine though with force feet, not force feeding, but, but feeding Pittman. Um, He makes contested catches. He, he gets you, at least he maximizes what he can get after the catch. And, you know, I just think you just have to trust him. You know, if he's covered, is he really covered? You know what I mean? So, I just think that Michael Pittman, by the way, you know, for all the, is he a number one, is he a number two? I tweeted about this the other day, so you probably saw my tweet for some of you. But he's on pace for over 1,200 yards. I mean, like, I don't know what, you can label him whatever you want to label him. But the guy shows up every week and plays like a dog, and D A W G, I guess. And I don't know what there is to complain about.
1: Resign him, give him his money, and just keep it moving. Uh, Steven, other than the Jonathan Taylor story, tell me what else you're working on at ESPN.com.
6: So, uh, one thing that, that I have been pleasantly surprised, or well, I guess I've, I've, I've enjoyed watching this year, is the growth of Reggie Wayne as a coach. And I was, so I was down in the field the other day before the game. Chuck Pagano and his wife were down there. They've known Reggie forever, you know, just going back to the Miami days. And Tina Pagano was was watching Reggie on the field with the team warming up and she said, you know, it's just so weird seeing Reggie like doing this, you know. They apparently she told me they talked for they talked to him for years about like, hey man, you should be a coach and he just was like, nah, I'm not ready. I'm not ready and finally last year Frank Wright convinced him. So anyway, I recounted that with Reggie and I wanted to hear from him, like, dude, your first year of coaching was a complete absolute disaster. (laughs) Okay. Frank gets fired, uh, you you get just Saturday your old teammate as your coach who doesn't know what he's doing, to be completely honest, and then you go home and they tell you, well, you might have a job and you might not. Why would you want to come back? And he just, you know, he said, I had a lot of unfinished business. So, anyway, um, that's that's the story we've got planned for later this week. I, I, it's just been a joy. You know, I, I think to watch the maturity and the maturation and, and the growth of Reggie as a coach um, has been really cool.
1: Steven, appreciate the time as always. Fun last night and appreciate the conversation today. All right, you got it. All right, Stephen Holder of ESPN.com. Interesting stuff too because Reggie Wayne, when you think about the fact that here he is, you know, he's right. I mean, his first year of coaching was not easy. And then his first year kind of in coaching as a player, if that makes sense, was the year of just so much upheaval, even though obviously they had a great year. But the Chuck Pagano leukemia year and Bruce Arians in, and Reggie Wayne was such an important piece, I think, in the locker room for that group probably trained and molded him for this opportunity. So um, good stuff there in, in regards to Reggie Wayne. And by the way, there is some news involving Reggie Wayne on the field from today and two of his former teammates. I'll tell you about that next.
2: Life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kisimta, ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kisimta and check out the details at Kisimta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
0: This is Query and Company on 935 and 1075 The Fan.
1: Thank you to Stephen Holder for his time. He mentioned Reggie Wayne. Reggie Wayne for the fifth consecutive year. I believe it's fifth year. A semifinalist advancing to the next round, if you will, for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. But he is joined by, would it be three former teammates? I'm trying to think of the timeline for one of them. But in his first year of eligibility, Dwight freeney joins Reggie Wayne. Robert Mathis is again advancing through at this level in terms of um being a semifinalist. It is funny to think that that freeney because you think that Mathis would have retired before freeney, but freeney, keep in mind, like kind of kept coming back and playing for teams. Uh, So those three, along with Andre Johnson, and I'm trying to think, was Andre Johnson the teammate of Reggie Wayne or was it the year after?
3: No, that was the, that 2015 season was the year that Reggie Wayne was briefly with New England, very briefly as a practice squad member, right? So they were not, their paths did not cross.
1: Reggie Wayne had said afterwards that for Bill Belichick, he's like, you know what, like he expected everybody the same level. You know, most places, like I think veterans kind of ease more into camp and. It was like drill camp right away. And he's like, yeah, I think I'm probably good (laughs) Of those three, which is the one that you think gets in first?
3: I think Wayne. Yeah, I I, I just feel like in terms – I'm offensively biased, right? Tenth all-time receiving yards and receptions, six Pro Bowls, one All-Pro of the NFL in receiving at one point during his career back in 07.
1: How many players behind him – in yardage are in probably a lot I mean obviously if he's 10th all time better question would be how many players in front of him are not yet in that's a better question is there anybody in front of him in total yardage that's not yet in Larry Fitzgerald is he eligible or is he already in I think he's already in
3: but that would be the question right he's the top name that comes to mind in terms of of that range or of that era Reggie but it's a foregone to conclusion
1: me. right he's got like which one Larry Fitzgerald's well, for me well, uh, yes yeah. yes yes Reggie Wayne to me the the argument for Reggie Wayne he's not in yet by the way or the discussion for Reggie Wayne like if I was and I think it's Mike Chappell that does it you know people that cover so that for those that are unfamiliar in the Pro Football Hall of Fame it's the the players that had like the the media the sports writer that covered them the most basically presents for that player in the Hall of Fame selection process and and states the case, the famous moment being Mike Chappell when it was time to do his presentation for Peyton Manning said, it's Peyton freaking Manning, mic drop, and that was it. Pretty much tells you everything you need to know. But if you were to present the case for Reggie Wayne – If it were me, I would present two things that he did. Number one, he was a dynamic stretch receiver who then was masterfully able to reinvent himself as a possession receiver. And I don't think that's an easy thing to do. He was able to do it. Secondly, in doing that, he also not only extended himself by a few years, But, Jimmy, the other thing that Reggie Wayne did was he was able to bridge the gap from one franchise quarterback to the next. And really was able to – Andrew Luck was a pretty special talent. But I think that Andrew Luck's assimilation into the NFL was greatly facilitated and eased by Reggie Wayne's reliability. So those are two things that are really big for him, right? Um, I have the factoid for you, by the way. Okay. Okay. There are ten,
3: sorry, nine players ahead of him in receiving yards all time. Okay, that's including tight ends and wide receivers. Only one is not already in.
1: Okay, now hold on. Sorry,
3: two aren't any in because we said Fitzgerald. But of the of the top ten, Reggie Wayne included, he's not in yet, right? Larry Fitzgerald isn't in, and then one other player is not in.
1: Is the other player? Let me before you give it to me. Is the other player eligible? Has he been out more? What is it? Five yes. years?
3: Yes, he is eligible.
1: Okay, Torrey Holt.
3: No, he is seventeenth all time. Is Torrey Holt in? My guess is yes. I, Isaac Bruce is in. I would think Torrey Holt's in. I.
1: I mean, to- Bruce played longer and waited. Torrey Holt.
3: Uh, no, Torrey Holt's only in College Football Hall of Fame. He's not in the Pro Football. Okay, Hall of
1: he, Torrey Holt may not be. Well, he's eligible at this point. Yeah. Um. Okay, let me get, give me one more guess. AFC or NFC?
3: NFC. And you said it's. I always forget it's five years, right? I think it's five. It's definitely not like seven or ten or something
1: weird like that. It's. So, this guy's right up yeah, against you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well,
3: in. he's he's recent, right? He's a recent. Within Tony the last Gonzalez. decade. No, Tony's in. He got in last year. Okay, two years ago. Who is it? Steve Smith Sr.
1: Okay, yeah. So he'll. He isn't uh, eighth. Just he ahead probably of isn't eligible yet, right?
3: His years are 01 to 16. And I Tony mean, Gonzalez is 01 to or 97 to 13. Reggie Wayne, 01 to 14. So I don't know how that works.
1: No, he is because Andre
3: Johnson is 03 to 16. So he,
1: here is the challenge for Reggie Wayne. The challenge for Reggie Wayne is the same for Torrey Holt. Yeah. And that is that for the better part of their career, they were not seen as the best receiver on their team. Yeah. Now, where Reggie Wayne offsets that is that Reggie Wayne, once Marvin Harrison was gone. Became that, yeah. Clearly became Mm -hmm. that and did so by kind of reinventing the way and the routes that he was running to get him the football. And I think that's a huge feather in his cap. Now, Freedy and Mathis, uh, between Freedy and Mathis, kind of same thing. Mathis basically is the defensive end version of Reggie Wayne and the fact that he was the perceived Batman for so long, but as soon as, or excuse me, Robin, for so long, but as soon as Batman left, yeah. he elevated himself. Now, with Mathis, two things that can hurt Mathis, and I love Robert Mathis. I did a show with Robert Mathis. Love him. But the PED suspension... Could hurt him. Not saying it should or will, but it could. And some of the reports of his off-field after playing, just lifestyle in general, I could see people being skeptical of.
3: But in terms of – Nothing illegal, by the way. Right. In terms of that whole thing of having an ambassador as a player, and I say this because I appreciate him and respect him as well as anybody in this market and beyond – that's where it becomes so important to have somebody like Mike Chapel that is making that Correct. presentation. I mean, I, I greatly enjoyed, and he shared that many times on these airwaves. Mike Chapel's stories of the process of Edmond James to the Hall of Fame. Like I, I, I want nobody. If I was looking for a Hall of Fame presenter or a Hall of Fame fighter for my right to get there, than Mike Chapel.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and you know, basically, statistically speaking, he's just you know he has to lay out and present the arguments. You know, there are certain players that. Aren't hall of famers, but you have to have been in the trenches or covering them to realize their value to the teams they played for. Yeah, you know, Ray Donaldson's one of those. Ray Donaldson was a really good player that I think people here forget how good he was. And you have to really be there. You have to really be there and up front and witnessing it to truly know, like that he was a good player here. Because you know who knows of those things. Who pays attention to a guy like that in that era of of Colts football? But nonetheless, um, I get the feeling, if I had to wager, I get the feeling that of those three, the one that will get in first, common sense would say Wayne because he's kind of waited his turn. But I think it might be Freeney. Because Freeney just has like a an eye pop about him. Great players, Jimmy, like some great players. Part of their greatness is the aura, whether fact or fiction, the aura that they were like the first of or the inventor of a particular style or play. And the spin move from Freeney was yeah. so unique. And so his that I could see that kind of lifting him, if you will, into the Hall of Fame. To
3: build off of that, the reason I would feel that same way, whether when he one day gets there, you're looking at his shrine or his exhibit at Canton, or if you just have some time to kill today and you do a YouTube search for Dwight Freeney highlights, you get, you could get lost 20, 30 minutes yeah. just watching highlight yeah, clips, just being sure. mesmerized and locked in.
1: Now. Have you been to the Pro Football Hall I've of Fame I have not, no. Canton? I want to, but I've I think not. it's a little underwhelming, truthfully. I've never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think it'd be fabulous. I've been by the Basketball Hall of Fame. I mean, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is really cool, for sure. The Shrine Room is obviously the real draw. The rest of it kind of felt like a 70s museum, to be honest with you. Um, you mean that the uh, bus don't whisper to one another? That's not... I mean, it feels like they do when you're in there. I'm not kidding you. Like, it's this dark room and the spot. It's, it's pretty cool. But one of the most popular misconceptions, one of the biggest misunderstandings, one of the most common errors and speculated topics, one of the biggest hot-button issues like if Dwight Freeney were to go in, not applicable to Robert Mathis, not applicable to Reggie Wayne, I don't think. But there is a question that will rise and rise heavily if Dwight Freeney, for example, is elected into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's a question that people need to calm down because they don't even need to ask it. Because it's not a question that even exists. Sounds confusing, but I'll explain what I'm talking about on the other side.
2: Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment.
0: The Jay Cook plays of the day. This is me, all right. I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I will.
3: Today's plays of the day. We'll start first in the Champions League. Emiliano Holland of Manchester City is an anytime goal scorer tonight as Man City takes on RB Leipzig. That taking place at three o'clock today. Also going to take Man City on the spread minus one and a half in that same game for the NBA. Tony East kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier in regards to what the Pacers are waiting for, for who they will play in the in-season tournament quarterfinal. Jimmy Butler is out tonight for the Miami Heat, and that is impactful because if the Bucs win against Miami tonight, then they will take the top spot in the group. Pacers will be just the two seed. I'm taking the Bucks to get it done tonight on the money line over Miami. That is the conclusion of the bets for a Tuesday.
1: So when the Pro Football Hall of Fame, you were just talking about when the the big fellows retired, right? He is David Baker, and that is yes. Name? He's like six foot nine, and he looks he, he looks like Sloth in the Goonies, right? Uh, I mean, doesn't look like him, but he's built like him, right? Yes. Um, when when the call comes to whatever player it may be, the the most. What is the biggest question that people ask? Like when Peyton Manning went in the Hall of Fame, what's the first thing people ask when they find out he's going in the Hall of Fame? Are you serious? Besides that, when, they, when, when Peyton Manning got elected, Colts fans were concerned about what? What was their oh, big oh, question? Oh,
3: is he going to retire as a Bronco or a Colt?
1: Correct. Now, in baseball, that's a big deal. Because you go in with the bust wearing a cap. And, you know, there have been players that like supposedly basically like auctioned off which team they'd go in under for charity, that kind of thing. Wade Boggs is in as a Tampa Bay Ray because he's from Tampa. Everybody knows him as a Red Sox. But fear not Colts fans. Richard Dent is in the Hall of Fame as a Colt. You go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you walk in and it says Navigate inductees based upon you know by position, by probably college, whatever, by franchise. And all it says is it has the bust of the player with their face, and then underneath it the, on the little podium it has the name of the player and teams of service, and they are equally listed chronologically. So it doesn't favor one or the other. So Dwight Freeney. Now, can you pull up for me Dwight Freeney's career locations? It will say Dwight Freeney, defensive end. And then it lists underneath that all the teams that he played for equally with the years. Now, see if I can tell you every team Dwight Freeney played for because there's more than you guessed. You ready? Let's go. Indianapolis Colts. Well done. Atlanta Falcons. Yes. Arizona Cardinals. Yes. Detroit Lions. Yes. Seattle Seahawks. Yes. Am I missing one? You're missing one. NFC or AFC? AFC. How obvious is it?
3: It's the first team that he was with after the Colts.
1: Oh, the Chargers. Yes. Yeah. So all those will be listed. It is funny to see Richard Dent listed as an Indianapolis Colt. You're like, really? I forgot he was here for one year. (laughs) Literally one year he was here. But that, that counts, right? Yeah. yeah.
3: But that, that is a, it's still a contentious fight amongst fans, even if it is listed.
1: I mean, it's very important to them, right? Yeah. And I get it. I totally understand it. Yep. But, you know, for Peyton Manning, it simply says Indianapolis Colts, Denver, Broncos.
3: Well, the debate is still on, even with Peyton outside the Hall of Fame credentials, right? For the fact that, like, Denver is everything to his family as it I, stands. I, right I think, now, right? Jimmy, like,
1: I've said this before, but I think what really hurts people, understandably, is is that Peyton Manning played, you know, 80% of his career here. And Peyton Manning's a guy that loyalty is very important. And watch the Manning cast. You see him occasionally at Nuggets games. You see, you know, his son going into the Broncos locker room after a Broncos game. And the way it's supposed to be for people in this town, the way it should be, the way the story should have been written, should have been that the Manning cast was taking place from a basement on Pennsylvania in Williams Creek, that Marshall Manning is getting ready to become the most highly coveted high school football player at Park Tudor, that the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital has a gala tomorrow where Peyton Manning is just going to make a spontaneous drop-in because he was on his way back from Chick-fil-A anyway. Like, those are the things yeah. that, to people here, you know, you see him out and about and around town. And I think that, for people here, so many players that have played in Indianapolis still keep a home here. Partially because of cost of living, but partially because there's something to be said for just, like, yeah, you're kind of still a big fit. Like, You know, a Scott Pollard or Rick DeMoling or a Ryan Deem or a Marlon Jackson. In a lot of markets, those guys, because, you know, Joe Stasniak, I mean, they didn't play a long time in the market itself. So in a lot of places, they would have become, I mean, not forgotten by any stretch. But I don't know that they would still carry cachet. But they do here because we love our players, we love the teams, and we're a smaller market and we love and embrace and love back people that gr- come here and adopt us. And Peyton Manning from the time that he was drafted by the Colts, I mean there was no doubt about the fact Peyton Manning's like I'm the face of the Colts, like I, that this is my team, this is where I want to be, and I think Jimmy it truly hurt him when he left here. I think he understood it. I think he grasped why. But I it I think it truly hurt him for all of the reasons I just said.
3: And the fact that two things with that, and I don't wanna fully reopen all of this to close a Tuesday, but one, the success that he had in Denver that followed. And two, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And two, the part of the and I know it's a can of worms, I apologize. The part of the Andrew Luck conversation that never gets brought up is that I don't think it turned out to be worth it.
1: No, that's true. Like if you look at what was given up. It was still in hindsight, it was still it still had to be done. Correct. Yeah but you are correct with the with correct. the gift
3: of hindsight like was how
1: much of it was worth it oh for with what for you sure. got no question uh john to flush out the program for us hi john how are you hey pretty good guys hey real quick um i know it's
4: probably not ever going to happen but do you think iu will reach out to pat fitzgerald i mean i know we got fired for the whole harassment type of thing but everybody deserves second chances in life i mean Heck, I mean, Mike uh, Leach got a second chance at Washington State after he pulled that little stunt set in Texas Tech. But I just didn't know, if do you think IU would reach
1: out to Pat Gerald or is he way too expensive for IU? Uh, great question, John. First off, with the Mike Leach thing, if I'm not mistaken, when that all went down where Mike Leach was accused of taking a player that was in concussion protocol and, like, mocking him and putting him in a closet, they kind of found out after the fact that that was, uh, I believe that was Craig James' son, and they found out after the fact that it was essentially a fabricated allegation, or I think he was kind of exonerated on that. But the, in terms of Fitzgerald, I, I do think that Pat Fitzgerald, I know internally there are people that would have interest in Indiana talking to him. Whether it goes to that, I don't know. But I do think that there are notably some people that are affiliated with the program that – as from the get-go, that was a guy and a name that they were interested in seeing if he would kind of grow some legs with it.
3: There's going to be a full-scale due diligence if they ever do make that call or have that conversation because a lot of people, I think myself included, need more answers in regards to his role with the hazing that happened at Northwestern. In terms of his accolades, though, if you can have the success that he had at Northwestern, you can have success just about anywhere. This
1: is what drives me nuts, Jimmy. Like Indiana football – it has a loser mentality, like like Indiana just has this mentality of like, well, nobody's going to come here, you know, we 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 can't win here. It's too tough. There are too many things going against us. Look, Texas A and M just had to go get a coach from Duke. Duke can turn it around. Yeah, right. Northwestern was able to turn it around. Kansas, for that matter, has has had a couple of good years. Kansas is as bad a program as Indiana. I know it's the losingest program all time, but like. The thing that, that – Michigan State had a plan, clearly. And they went out and they got a guy. I don't want Indiana to have to hire I – mean, is Indiana going to hire the same, like, consulting firm that they spent 100 k to tell them to change, like, part of the the, the angle degree on the U of their logo? Uh, I, I mean, that worked out well, right? Like I think about I, it every day. Like, just don't drag your feet, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, have a plan and go after it. But I feel like Indiana just has this mentality of, like, well, everything's stacked against us, so, you know, what I mean, come on.
3: I mean, you can't afford to live like that, especially in today's college football when the transfer portal opens in like 40 days, and you already have guys left and right that have entered well, the transfer portal. I don't know how many you want to bring back as a new head coach, but you can't afford to be behind the eight ball Jimmy, with that timeline.
1: whoever gets the Indiana job, the first thing they're going to have to do, it's going to be a little bit like that mod at Butler. I mean, the first thing yeah. you're going to have to do is basically revamp your roster. Yep. Because And, and the, the portal's tough, man. I mean, the portal's tough because there are guys – you know, is Soresby going to go Where do, is Soares begin to go somewhere else and be able to start right away? Uh, maybe, if he goes to a Mac school. He's not a bad player. But it's not like he's going to go to an SEC school and walk in and start, right. right? I mean, what percent of players that enter the portal ever actually end up getting significant reps wherever it is that they go? It's, yeah. it's less than you'd think, right? Yeah.
3: And I think a lot of it is also inflated from, like, that turnaround that Colorado had to do, right? Like, they... You're well, look, starting opportunities Look what's there. happening there, though. Well, yeah, correct. The
1: fallout afterwards. I mean, Col- the, the kid from Carmel that committed to Colorado just said, you know what? Second thoughts. No stability. Turnover. Like, Colorado literally, they went from the I mean, the talk of the town, and you kind of knew this was going to yeah, happen, right? it was right? inevitable. But as soon as reality kicked in at Colorado, it was like, holy cow. I mean, they just completely fell off the face of the earth. Uh, j and just walked in. Setting everything up. Are you moving in? Huh? You got, so. you, you got like a bag over there. You yeah, got, I bring that bag everywhere, man. You got all kinds of yeah, different it's got stuff, my essentials in it. What do you think when you see Jimmy's water bottle? Nah, <laughs> <laughs> it looks like
5: he's mixing. There it is. A yeah, drink right know, there. There's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Yeah.
1: He Wait. says it's a C three PO water bottle. I'm a C3PO. Nerd, John. John. Oh on. yeah.
5: You know that. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Star Wars guy. Come on. I can Okay, d- the first two uh, I sh- I guess I don't know what the nerds call the first two now, but Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, whenever Boba Fett got off and Return <laughs> of the Jedi, I was
1: out forever. So, so That was so, it. Yeah. Th- so that the fellow that that's named after the ta- the nerd robot, right? Yeah. He's the nerd robot, yeah, right? Correct. Anthony Daniels, yeah. Have I been saying it incorrectly all this time? I say um C3PO. No, wait a minute. C3, yeah, C three P O. Like you,
5: you dragged the P O right there. Correct. So, yeah. but it's
1: C three P O. Is that right?
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's like which which most gets, commonly which said. gets which. It's not like R two D two. Which <laughs> of the four yeah, gets the <laughs> enunciation? Is it C three P O? C three P O. C three P O. Quick, because to they the point. call him three P O. It'd be like yeah. So it's almost very. It's very similar to sports when everybody gets some half-assed nickname. So C-3PO got a half-ass nickname.
1: Now, did R2D2 and, and C-3PO, or however you say it, yes, they were adopted. Were they adopted together? Yes. yes. Were they were More. already bonded, mm-hmm. so they had to yep. adopt both of them. The together.
5: Jawas sold them off of their yes, truck. They did.
1: So it was. It's was like yep. Sanford and Son salvage. They just got cruised so, up. So wait a minute, Were they programmed <laughs> to be good guys, or did they reprogram? No, them to be they, good were, guys?
5: Yeah, they, they were. Yeah, they were. I think initially they were with Princess Leia, um, and yes. uh, on on the good side. Because R two D two had so the, the plans locked up in his. Uh, in so the,
3: the prequels, it turned out they knew yeah. everything about the Jedi Order, so they wiped I thought their Leia brains. Was so they wiped smoked. their minds.
5: I love those bun side,
1: those things on the side. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. man, I'm gonna tell you what she's she was fine. Yeah. yeah. Now, so they just the Jawas just drove around on a on a truck with everything on the. Yeah, it was like Sanford and Scavage, and then yeah,
5: it was like Lamont ro- but, rolling around. But the Jawas <laughs> weren't bad guys, right?
1: It depends. you you Well They were like yeah. They were like Craigslist of
5: yeah. They uh, still the, they stole stuff and sold it. So oh, they stole sometimes yeah. back. So to you. you probably yeah. no. what's no. that? No. Sometimes
3: back to you, they'd steal your belt and be like, "Hey, here's a belt." <laughs> That's kind of cool. I kind
1: of like the Jawas. I didn't really like him before, right? Uh, John, what do you got coming up other than uh, we got Star the Wars uh, PFF
5: talk? guy, we've got Kravitz, i have got Rake raw and uh, we've got the Jonathan Taylor stuff. And we've got the Pacers. What a joke last night. That did was bad, go? wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, it hey, how about showing up and a little bit of effort? Nothing. I mean just zero. You know, they, they I'm gonna rip any that anybody. Too, yeah.
1: Um Kravitz has interesting thoughts about the IU football search, by the way. So you gotta get into that with him. Yeah, well here's what I should
5: here's what I would do right now. I'd worry more about NIL than worry about how much you're gonna pay your coach. Dime Agreed. a dozen right now. Agreed. Dime Agreed. a dozen.
1: Yeah. Yep. All right, John's up next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back with you
0: tomorrow at noon for Aquarium Company here on the fan.